This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Fastball belted deep right center field by Grossman. Back on it is Reddick at the wall. Tie game. An ambush by Robbie Grossman on Josh James. Turns around 96 and ties the game at one. And it's swung on, hit to right center field. Deep in the alley, that's going to get down to the A's and won the game. They've come back with two in the bottom of the 13th inning on a line drive up the alley in right center, falling between the right fielder Reddick and the center fielder Straw. And the A's with a two-run bottom of the 13th have beaten the Astros by the final of 3-2. Lefty turns, kicks, here's the fish to Marcus, swung on, drilled down the left field line. If it's fair, it's gone, and it is gone. And the A's take a 1-0 lead. Rodriguez, ready? Right-hander delivers. It's a drive into right center field. Back on it, Reddick from center and straw at the wall, and they'll watch, and it's gone. And Chapman homers to right center field, and the A's get a cushion in a 3-0 lead. Swung on belt to deep center field. Back on it is straw. He is going to watch it go. It's a three-run blow for Matt Olson. His fifth home run of the year with two men on. And it is 4 nothing A's. Now Chapman bats. He swings and he blasts one. Left center field. That's on his way. And the A's have gone back to back. Here's Chris Townsend. Do you mind if I just sit back and just be silent for a moment and just enjoy? Just to sit back and to think about... What we just went through from the end of the season, covering the playoffs, covering the winter meetings, COVID, COVID-19 becoming a part of our lives. Don't know if we're going to have a season. Don't know if we're going to have a full season. Don't know if it's going to be 120 games. Is it 82 games? To all of a sudden, oh, my God, it's only 60. To the A's are getting started. What to expect? I don't know. They're slow starters. It scares the hell out of me. To where we are now. Can we just sit back and take a moment and just realize what a great time it is to be an A's fan? Now, obviously, this is uh, live, so we can't do that pause. But this is when baseball is great. When every single day you wake up 
and you can't wait for the game to start. You can't wait. It doesn't matter what's going on. Okay, there's nobody in the stands. That's fine. They're now on the road in Anaheim. That's fine. I, I don't wherever they are. They could be playing anywhere. I'm ready to rock. Let's go. Enjoying what you have. It's not the best, but damn, I'll take it. And just be able to to watch games every day and fill out my scorebook. And I know for you as A's fans to listen to it here on A's Cast or the A's Radio Network or to watch on NBC California. We waited a long time for this, and they're now not disappointing us whatsoever. This is kind of turning into a dream season. Everything is laid out for them. Destiny is no question in your own hands. You're going to hear from Paul Hembikides a little bit later. Top researcher for ESPN from the their morning show, Get Up. And you also hear him every single week on Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight, that other than an actual team podcast, we'll give him the credit as the best podcast in baseball. Not team, that's right here, A's cast. And he's going to tell you, because I started going over the, the schedule with him. You're in first place right now. You've won nine in a row, and you essentially have the best setup in front of you of any other team in baseball. Everybody, if you talk win percentage, and I know... And, and I'm fine doing this. It's more like a football season. And if the football season, we talk about schedules. And we talk about strength of schedules. And baseball, you don't do that because there's 162 games. It's ridiculous. Well, by the way, we're in a football season. You will not face another team with a winning record until September 4th, and that's the Padres. And who knows what that – they're only two games over 500. Who even knows if they'll be 500 by that time? I mean, the one legitimate team, you basically, I mean, this is, I can't do this alone. Commander Cody, this is crazy to say. How was your weekend? Uh, Weekend was great because uh, for the first time in five months, I was able to get my hair cut. So a new haircut, the beard is trimmed. I look presentable for, well, you, because no one else sees me, so... I did it for you only because no one else sees me outside of of my apartment. But I was it was good and it was great to see in a sweep. So it was uh and the winning streak continuing. So all in all, great weekend. And you discovered the new high noons. The high oh well, high noon. That was a that's a Hembo recommendation. He recommended that a few weeks ago. I tried it and then I found a variety pack of twelve cans. Uh they were gone in thirty minutes on Saturday night between myself and two other people. So, if I'm looking at this calendar right, because I have no idea what the Padres pa- – Padres are up and down. They're around a 500 team. So, the schedule reads Anaheim, San Francisco, Arizona, Anaheim, Texas, Houston, Seattle. That takes you all the way to August 3rd. Not one of those teams is 500. Then you got San Diego for three. I'm assuming they're going to be around 500. Don't know. Back to Houston, Texas. I mean, 
if you looked at where we are right now, there's only two teams left that are worth a damn in Colorado and Los Angeles Dodgers. You don't see them, Colorado, to September 15th and 16th, and the Dodgers, September 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Yes, I know I know that's putting the cart before the horse. I'm just telling you. You're deeper, you're better than all of these teams. We knew that going into the season. It's late. Your destiny is laid out in front of you. You go handle your business. Forget 40 wins. You could blow past 40 wins. That's kind of always been the mark because the last two years, the last 60 games, the A's have won 39 and 38 games. So they know what it's like to win 40 games in their last 60. Can they blow by that? We thought, and once again, people are going to be wrong and people are going to be right. And I don't think anybody should be held to. You said this before. We've never been through a 60-game season. So I'm not going to come back on any columnist and said this guy said this. I mean, I'm not. Who knew how this was going to work? I actually thought, for me personally, that it would be like a NASCAR race that there's not going to be enough games to separate yourself from the pack. And even Fangraphs did that simulated season, and they kind of said the same thing. But when you win nine in a row, you now have a five-game lead over Texas, not even not even Houston. Houston's a train wreck. Houston's lost five in a row. So the A's lead Texas by five, Houston by five and a half, Seattle by six and a half, and the Angels by seven. Fangraphs now has the A's 98.4% chance of making the playoffs, which if it wasn't 97 plus, I would be, it's a joke. Dodgers are 98.8. They're the only ones better. It's all about garbling up wins. Win after win after win, and you keep putting your foot on the competition. It's a beautiful thing. And tonight is the night Sean Manai has got to figure it out. Because, Sean, everybody else is getting it done. You got Frankie Montas three times, Fires, Bassett, and now... Jesus Lazardo have gone five innings or more. And during that time, the A's are eight and one. So Manaya getting three and crapping out in the fourth is not doing it. And the leash is not, you can't stop this train, Sean. You got to keep the train running. The 12 and four start is tied with 2013 for the best start in the past 30 years. Birch Smith got his first save. How about that? How about that story? The story of Birch Smith and uh, Soria, they still have not either one given up an earned run. And I can't wait to talk to Liam Hendricks today at five o'clock. The all-star closer will join us as he and Soria they play catch today every single day. And there's a special relationship between the guys who play catch every day because they work with each other and they work on each other's stuff. Mark Gubaza, the former All-Star and World Series champion, will be here at 4 o'clock. Gooby, friend of the program, 
And as we said, Paul Hembikides from ESPN will be here at 3.30. This is a jammed, packed show, leading you all the way to A's Total Access, then to A's and Angels. Angels are a train wreck. I will address that a little bit later. Jesus Lazardo gets his first win, youngest ace pitcher since Brett Anderson in 2010 to win a game. Let's just hope his career doesn't go like Brett Anderson. The A's have outscored their opponent 47 to 19 during this streak. 47 to 19. The overall ERA during the streak is 1.88. The bullpen ERA is 0.81. Now, this is something you're going to hear from Himbo a little bit later because we taped it earlier. A's pitchers, this is this is this tells you a lot about the staff. Billy Bean, David Forrest, Scott Emerson, and the Oakland Coliseum. You build your staff around the ballpark. That's Billy and David. You then make sure that the pitchers pitch to the ballpark. That's Scott Emerson. A's pitchers have allowed 43 fly balls during the streak. I want you to I want you to put your mind around that. Picture 43 fly balls going to center, to right, left. During these nine games, 43 balls have gone into the air. All 43 have been outs. Where does Himbo come up with that, Cody? That's a, I think that's a baseball savant stat cast. Like I, I know how to use that website pretty well. And I mean, obviously him and Sarah are, I, I'm like a intermediate guy. They're like experts on using baseball savant. And like when they look up first pitch swinging rates and all that stuff, like I tried looking for, that, I couldn't find it, but I can find a lot of the pitching stuff, but that's the website you find a lot of that stuff. Like they're outs above average and, and different things like that. So baseball savant. Is where they do, but this is also their job. This is what they know how to do better than anyone. They're good at finding uh, stats and nuggets like this to show, you know, how good or bad a team is during a streak, and and they're the best at it. And that's why we're glad that we are close with both of them. And Hembo provided the forty-three fly balls, which is, I mean, unless you're sitting there and you're counting every fly ball that goes out like a guy with a scorebook, and oh, there's a fly ball, and you have like a t running tally, you're never gonna find it if you don't understand how to use that, uh, these websites. Yeah, I don't know how to use them. Baseball reference is fun. Uh, that's a good, that's what I've been trying to get better at with StatHead, and that's how I was able to find the 8-1 and one when the eight starters go five-plus innings because last year it was 16-4 and four when they went seven, so we did equated it more to five this year, and it's 8-1, and one, which is incredible when you think about it. In seven of the last nine games, the A's have allowed two runs or less, which is even more incredible in the nine, during the nine-game league streak. So seven of the nine, two runs or less which is pretty good. Highest on base percentage in the American League during this winning streak. They're hitting just 229, and that's what leads me to friend of the program, Brian Kinney. On MLB Now today, they had the top weighted runs created plus teams in baseball. Yankees, Padres, Dodgers, Orioles. And I was kind of thinking the A's might be on there, but then I think, eh, I think about the batting average. I think about certain things. The A's have been hitting home runs 
For example, each of Matt Olson's last four hits have been home runs. <laughs> we're definitely we're definitely a a, a, th- a three true outcome club. I think there's no question about that. See if you can find that, Cody. The uh, top weighted run created plus weighted run created plus teams are because the A's did not make the top five. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm trying to find it right now, and let me just uh, I'll get there. the The A's are 12 and one when they hit a home run in a game too. That's even more yeah. incredible. I I've been trying to track that for us for for this show and for post game for you, what their record is when they hit home runs and when they don't, and they're 0 and 3 and they don't hit home runs. So relying on the home run. We've we had that the last three post game shows. Have you not been listening to the post game show? Who me or the listeners? Because I've been listening. Yes, I've had that. I've been having that running total of home. I know. Runs. I was just saying. I, I love that. I love that stat because it's it's like it, it's very. It's I wouldn't say it's very telling, but it still shows you how much they rely. Yankees, Padres, Dodgers, Orioles, Cubs, Mets, White Sox, Braves, Astros, Phillies are the top ten. The A's have a 106 weighted runs created plus. That's tied for 13th with my Miami Marlins and only four more than the San Francisco Giants, who the A's will see on Friday. We got to delve into that. Is is that because all they do is hit home runs? I'd have to look more into why it's not. That has to be a part hey, of it, and the batting average would be a big part. I, I I'm going to tell you this: if I'm tied with the Miami Marlins in anything, I'm proud. Yeah, they're they're Amer- I would. I mean, is it is it too strong to say they're America's team right now? Uh, they've taken over the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they're winning. They're showing you like they're everyone's buying into it. I, I played a game against a buddy on MLB The Show over the weekend. I hit a walk-off home run in the tenth inning with the fish, and I just I coined it as America's team, and uh, some people got on board with that when I posted it on Insta on the gram. So hopefully that'll catch on the Miami Marlins, America's team now. I mean, they're the po- poster team for COVID, and I do want to. I sent you that article. I I, I do want to address this. It kind of scares me. The media. Did I do that with Hembo? Yes, I did it with Hembo. I'll do it with Hembo coming up here. What scares me is when the media, we know that the media is very political. But that's not the sports media, right? The sports media is supposed to be different. The sports media is giving you like half the article. And that really scares me. And that's why I want to make sure on this program, we don't give you half the story. We give you the story. Because it was put out there, oh, my God, more Phillies tested positive. Phillies players went to the hospital. In story. What? Okay, what happened? This gets back to, unfortunately, during these times, I've gotten back into my days of being uh, journalism school and in college and watching how horrific our news has become. It was a great example. Phillies are in the hospital. They tested positive. That's why I keep coming. What are the symptoms? What's going on? How are they feeling? What? What? Uh, some Phillies didn't feel well. Do you know what happened to those Phillies that went to the hospital? Since no one wanted to actually finish the story and real journalists actually go and investigate and tell you the full story. They went to this group, went to the hospital. I'm not going to say they all went together. 
They went to the hospital. Some some got IVs. Some were there just for clarity. They were scared, which is totally understandable. And then this is the story they don't tell you. They all went home. They were all sent home. Nobody from the Cardinals spent the night in the hospital. No one was on a respirator. A couple got IVs and were sent home. Some didn't even get IVs and were sent home. I don't know what they were given. I got an idea. That's also a political hot button, so I won't get into it. But they tested people from players and staff, tested positive, went to the hospital, and then were sent home. But that's not where the story reads. I mean, you read the story and you read the headline, Cardinals Hospital. It's like, folks, we need to be honest with each other. We need to tell the full story. That's your job as people in the media. And that, and I'm going to do that for you. And hopefully I can help you with some of these things because I think we're, 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 we're doing baseball fans and fans and people a total disservice. If they want to play the political football outside of baseball, that's fine. That's not in our realm. In our realm, I want to make sure we have the facts and what's really going on. And hopefully the Cardinals are going to be able to get back on track here pretty soon. Well, we found and, out. I'll say we found out the other day that they're not playing their first, the three games against the Pirates this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they just came out earlier today that they postponed the doubleheader they're supposed to play against Detroit on Thursday. So essentially, they have to play. Where's Where's their alternate site people? That's a great. I was thinking about that too. Like the, even with the Marlins, like they pulled guys up. Why aren't the Cardinals doing that? But they had to play fifty-five games on forty-five days from uh, a, a tweet I saw from Jason Stark. Uh the Marlins are back playing. They brought in alternate site guys. That's what they were for. Dave Cavill has told us. I've seen Dave Cavill on television. Stan Caston, the president of the Dodgers. All these presidents had meetings saying, we know at some point people are going to test positive. That's why we have the alternate site. This isn't a surprise. For some reason, the people in the sports media thought that no one was ever going to test positive. I, it's, 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 it's really... There's not going to be an investigation, but there really should be on the one, the handling of this, just from a baseball side and what people have said, people who actually work for the game. It's pretty crazy, but the streak is alive. Now, if you heard me yesterday on the post game show, I was very upset and we should be upset. The Houston Astros There's something wrong with these guys. I mean, when you have the hitting coach, Alex Centrone, challenging a player, when you as a coach, you're supposed to be protecting everybody in the stadium. That is your role. That is your job. Everybody's supposed to be protecting everybody. Everybody knows that. The umpires, the players, the coaches, the managers, Clay Wood, the staff, everybody there is supposed to protect each other. And especially coaches are supposed to be there to make sure everybody's doing the right thing and protocols. And you have an Astros coach challenging a player and in Spanish allegedly saying something about the player's mom, our guy, Ramon Laureano. We're starting to find out this Centron guy who played years ago. He's got a track record with having issues with the other team. 
But this is not the time. This is COVID-19. This is a pandemic. Your actions, and Ramon Laureano should have not gone to the dugout. I admitted it yesterday. I'll admit it today. And he is going to get suspended. Now, it's one thing, though, if it's interaction between a player and a player. If you're telling me a coach, a coach, and that coach essentially started up having both benches, which means the humanity of people coming together, touching each other, yelling at each other, spit flying, everything we want, nothing to do with our human beings. And he started that. He should be out of the game right now for the rest of the year. I said it yesterday. I'll set it today. I said it right after the game before Jim Bowden went on Twitter, before anybody else. I said he should be taken from the dugout and used as an excuse saying this If you're in uniform and you're in the dugout and you act like this, you're gone. I'm not saying to lose his job permanently. I'm saying for the rest of the year. So everybody knows on the 29 other teams, you instigate fighting, you instigate touching, you instigate anything that is against protocol, you're gone. You're not bigger than the game. This game's hanging on by a thread. And actions like that should not be allowed. And because you put everybody at risk, your ass is gone. That's what I would do if I was commissioner. And all of a sudden, last night on Twitter, a lot of people were agreeing. And I'll say it again. You know what? God, Ramon, don't do it. Don't do it. And he did it. Okay. But I don't want him to lose that fire because that's who he is. That young man plays like a football player. He plays with passion, plays with heart. He plays with an edge. I know we can do the Razor Ramon thing. Plays with a razor's edge. Razor Ramon didn't last that long because uh, Scott Hall was it Scott Hall? Yeah, he's a bad he became, guy. He was a bad guy. That was his thing. He became a bad guy. I lo- I loved Razor. I did too. But that, that's old school WWF. Uh, it, it would be funny if Ramon came out of the after the it, it, whatever the suspension happens. You know, if and when we know it's going to happen. If Ramon comes out in the first at bat and he has a toothpick on and he just flicks it like Rose, Razor Ramon. Bad guy. I'm Say a bad, hello to the bad guy. Yeah. Well, there's a quote from Ramon. He was in. He got. I guess. I guess he talked to Jeff Passan because Passan has an article that came up about uh, about 30 minutes ago. And he goes, you know, he Ramon ultimately owned it. He said he wished he had chosen not to run towards the Astros dugout in Centrum, but he goes, I regret charging him because he's a loser. A suspension is understandable, but I hope it's not that many games. So Ramon's, you know, he's owning it. He's not backing down from it. And you know, I think he's speaking to the media right now, uh, the Bay Area media. So we'll see what comes out of this because we haven't seen anything yet from the commissioner's office or anything. And, you know, Dusty Baker said Centrone is, you know, apologetic about it and all that. If you're apologetic. Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker's in the clouds. Our man Jeff Blum on Twitter got popped yesterday. Friend of the program. We love him to death. But he's like ripping. He's like ripping. Not ripping, but he's, you know, blaming uh, Loriano, and then all of a sudden he sees the video of, of their hitting coach saying, and he goes, ooh. And then someone put it on Twitter where it kept going, ooh, ooh. Because yeah. he knew. John Boy. Once you, once you see the video of the hitting coach instigating it and stepping up and instigating it, you know it would be great from the commissioner's office? And I'm not and, – and, and you know what? I'm not playing fanboy here. If this was the A's – I would say whoever coach, yeah, same thing. I mean, your job and responsibility as a coach in 2020 is unbelievable. 
It would be great if they go, you know what, Ramon Laureano, you get three games. And then take this coach out because that guy should be out. You have, by the way, you have to suspend Ramon Laureano. He he ran after the dugout. You got to set an example with him, too. I just hope it's not 10 games, 12 games. Ugh. But remember, he went out last year, shins, Canev played center, A's won 97 games. They got the depth. All right, earlier today, our guy Himbo's back. Poor guy has been traveling all around the Northeast, trying to still do his job with ESPN. Can't go back to his apartment in New York City. Uh, just bought a house in New Jersey. <laughs> he at some point is going to be home. He now he now has bought a home, which is great. Here's my conversation with the great Paul Himbakides. Well, it's been a while, but it's great to have him back. One of the true friends of the program, Paul Himbakides from ESPN. And you get to see him and hear him on Get Up. And uh, uh, it's been a while since we've been able to talk to him on the East Coast. So we're not sure. Where exactly he is? Is he in his new house? Which which parents with his wife? Himbo, where are you? My my life has become a where in the world is Carmen San Diego type deal. Uh, I am currently in my in laws in law suite. That's how that's the best way to describe my current whereabouts. Although the house update is this: we closed on July thirty first. I have spent most of my free time uh, tearing up the backyard, which it which it required a lot of. A lot of shrubbery, a lot of overgrown nonsense that I'm ripping out with my bare hands. Real salt of the earth type stuff over here. But I'm, I'm happy with our progress. We move in a week from today. And the, whole re- the reason I wasn't able to talk to you last week is because we hadn't gotten a Wi-Fi set up yet. So my apologies for that. But I'm here today and I'm happy to discuss you know, all the things that you guys have going on. And you had a pretty interesting day yesterday, I have to say. I, I got to be honest with you. In all my years, I've never heard I'm at my in-laws, in-laws place. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not proud to admit it, but the pandemic has caused us to have to, you know, shuffle, reshuffle the, the deck a little bit. And luckily, we are a, we are a week away from having our own place back. Uh, I think we are on week 22, something like that, of my quarantine situation here, living outside of New York City, where I normally live. We've been back once to collect our things. We will go back next week weekend to collect all of our things. And in the meantime, I'm trying to stay up to date what's going on in Major League Baseball. Yeah, you're like a gypsy, but let's get into uh, Major League Baseball. (laughs) I know somebody before the start of this 60-game schedule had the stones to step out and say, I like the Oakland Athletics over the Houston Astros. You just didn't do it on our show. I heard you on Buster Olney. Buster was kind kind of shocked by that. You went out and said, I like the Oakland A's to win the West. I like them better than the Astros. And where we sit today with 44 games left, it's Texas who's five games back, and it's Houston who's five and a half games back. Houston's reeling. Oakland kicked their ass over the weekend, and it got heated. And I can't, and I got to tell you, I love how it went down. This is talk show gold today. From my experience working on Mike and Mike and now get up, like days like today are why you, are why you get out of bed to do a talk show. When I I wasn't watching this live yesterday, so I had to like you were. I had to catch up uh, in seeing the video and reading some of the notes, but I could not believe the way it all went down. It is very common for on a getaway day for things to get heated for 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 a player in this case Ramon Laureano to wear a couple and you know how it is on a hot on a hot summer day you wear a couple no matter how hard they're coming in no matter whether or not they're intentional that happens and I don't take any issue with him getting agitated the way that he did 
obviously what transpired was unfortunate and will probably impact the ACs in a negative way. But I cannot get over the fact that the Astros bench coach, Alex Cintron, who, by the way, has a laundry list of transgressions already, yes. is the whole instigator to this whole thing. Like, this is We're not talking about a, a straight-laced citizen here. This is someone who was involved in the, in the trash can banging incident, as I've learned. This is someone who agitated the crap out of Aaron Boone last year in the playoffs, as we've learned. And someone who, quite clearly on the video, is provoking a, ball, a player on the opposite team to come at him. I have, I have very rarely seen anything like this, and it is so incredibly disrespectful. So incredibly disrespectful. We can be candid here. Alex Cintron is a hack, and he was never a good player to begin with, and you know how it is. Most of these guys on these teams where they like to stir up this stuff, they're the guys that stink. They're the gym class heroes, right? In this case, it's, a, it's not even a player. I couldn't believe it. There is absolutely no excuse for it. There's absolutely no no reason out another game this season. I'm, I'm, I'm totally convinced of that, and I have yet to hear a good argument otherwise. The, look, the Astros are not in a position here, are not in a position to receive any benefit of the doubt. I, I just couldn't. This is such an odd. The only thing I could think of that related to this in any way was, I think it was four years ago, you might recall, Joey Porter like instigated a 15-yard penalty on out of Pac-Man Jones in a playoff game, and that was a really big deal because it cost the Bengals. A, a shot at advancing in the playoffs. That's the only thing that was that I could ever compare this to. But the fact that a bench coach could affect competitive balance in a game, and ultimately, in this case, probably in some in a small sense within a season, it's completely ridiculous. And if I were handing out penalties at Major League Baseball, what he did is ten times worse, ten times worse than what Ramon Laureano did. And I'm not saying that just because I'm on AceCast Live. I'm saying it because I feel strongly, and most people that I've talked to around the game today feel the same way. Yes, because especially. Where we are right now in a pandemic, we're, we're, we're holding on by a thread. Everybody in the dugout is supposed to be protecting each other. Not only your team, the other team, safety distancing because of his actions and Ramon's. And I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, Ramon is going to get suspended and he's going to have to wear it. But the fact that the, 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 the hitting coach and the guy that's in uniform <laughs> is instigating a fight, which leads to both benches now touching each other, breathing on each other, yelling at each other. And that's totally against all protocol of Major League Baseball. And it's a coach. It's one thing if it's another player, but a coach is supposed to be protecting his, his coaches are supposed to be protecting everybody in the building. <laughs> it's it's unprecedented. It is, as I said, it is so incredibly disrespectful to the game. And look, what we've learned in no uncertain terms, is that as an organization, the Astros do not do it the right way. They don't respect the game of baseball. They don't play the right way. They don't coach the right way. From the top down, it's a corrupt, defiled organization. Now, Alex Intron was in the was in the middle of that when when they were in the middle of that. We know that, right? The fact that he was able to remain above the law is sort of curious to me. The fact that he's back on staff is curious to me. And the fact that he's like now a third or fourth time offender, like we we now have. We now have the book on this guy. We now have the character on this person, and it is damning. It'd be totally candid. So, yes, I think I'm with you. Uh, Ramon Laureano deserves to wear it. This is, I think he should be suspended for a series. But if I'm going to compare this to an incident between players, which, of course, is what we should be doing, not coaches, what, what, what Alex Centro did was sort of what Joe Kelly did. He instigated it, right? He, he, he set off the tinderbox. Laureano's action was uh, inexcusable, and nobody uh, with their right mind would disagree with that. But to put the onus on a player who had gotten plunked twice, who is being provoked 
uh, in the dugout by an opposing coach is sort of silly. Of course, he deserves to wear it. He'll be suspended and should be for something like a series. But whatever his suspension is, Cintron should should be penalized by a factor of 10. But more, more than that, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm one who always believes that making an example of someone is the best way to send a clear message. And is the game of baseball worse if Alex Cintron isn't, on the, isn't in the dugout the rest of the season? No, we're not talking about suspending a star player. We're talking about a completely useless hack of a bench coach. To me, like, it's a really easy message to send. All right, coaches, you guys are this, – this, what he did here, beyond the pale. Do anything like this, you won't coach again this season. It's an easy message to send, and nobody is hurt by Alex Sintro not being involved in the game of baseball for the next 45 games. No one gives a flying rip. Could not agree with you more, but as I told the fans after I went on my rant in the postgame show yesterday, eye on the prize. A's have won nine in a row. They're in yeah. first place. There's only 44 games left. Every single time you win, you push down everybody else it's like a football season you got to think that way and you know our whole joke of uh every game is 2.7 uh the a's yeah. have won 24.3 straight games <laughs> i'm glad that you're able to do that math without me i think I, I, that's outstanding work you mentioned on the front end here to talk about things that are not going to get my blood boiled that yes i picked the ace to not only be better than the astros but to be better than any team in the American League entering the season. One of the reasons for it is because the approach of the players, the, the, the approach of the regulars, the players um, with whom hold the, the most clout, I thought would be most conducive to winning, and particularly as it relates to controlling the strike zone. Controlling the strike zone is something the A's have honed in on over the last few years with the crop of players that they have. And during this nine-game win streak, they have done that on both sides of the ball. So during this nine-game win streak, this dates back to August 1st now, the A's own the second lowest chase rate in baseball. They've only chased pitches out of the zone at a 22% clip. It's really, really good for a team that has the pop that they have. On the other side, their pitchers have thrown the highest percentage of pitches inside the strike zone at 53%. They are challenging hitters. We've seen the, uh, we've seen the, the, the stuff of your, of, your, of your staff really play up, and they're not afraid to pound the strike zone. And what, The number that I think stands out to me more than any other is neither of those two. In the last nine games, during, during this, your nine-game win streak, A's opponents have hit 43 fly balls that have stayed inside the yard. All 43 fly balls have been recorded, have been turned into outs. All 43. They're 43 for 43 on fly balls that stay in the yard. Last year, outfield defense was a bit of a bugaboo for you guys. You have improved considerably in that area. When you consider the pitchers are, pitchers are pounding the strike zone right now, the hitters are laying off you know, the slops down in the zone. They're not swinging over stuff the way that they have in the past. That's a really, really effective combination that has a chance to be sustained. We're not The, the A's are batting 229 during the streak. We're not talking about a team that's run into some really good Babbitt block or anything like that. This is legitimate. This is not fluky. And I could see the A's reeling off a bunch of stuff. Let's hope that you know Ramon Laureano doesn't have to miss too much time because right now these guys are cooking. Yeah, you know, the thing about it, too, is 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 the depth there. You move Canada center. Uh, they have the depth. They, they survived with the shin splints and the shin problems last year with Ramon Laureano. So they, they have the depth, and they're going to be okay. But the thing that I liked about it was the fact that Houston's on notice. The A's don't like them. The A's are ready for the fight. We may not have fully been ready for the fight the past couple of years, but now it's game on. And Houston left Oakland yesterday going, uh-oh. I guarantee you they left going, uh-oh. This has to be the first time in, in three or four years that the Astros have felt legitimately threatened by any team within their division, certainly this early in a season. And the fact that the Astros have to resort to this kind of shenanigans, like this is what teams do that stink. You and I have both been on good te- baseball teams. You and I have both been on bad baseball teams. And when you stink, 
you do random stuff to try to get under the skin of the opponents. You try to find ways, you know, you, you know, you, 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 you know, you do the best you can to, you know, the, the, the technical foul for the best player on the other team, like that kind of stuff. Right. The fact that the Astros are doing this 15 games into a season after being a juggernaut for the last three years tells you everything that you need to know about the balance of power within this division. The A's, like you said, are here. The Astros acknowledge that. And not only that they're playing, not just because they're playing badly, but because they're playing badly against their division rival, the team that they're very cl- clearly seeing take control of something that they have had control of for the last three years. Like, I think yesterday, like, if, if the A's wind up having this, you know, spectacular season and, you know, going to the World Series or, or at minimum, uh, you know, blowing past the Astros, like, yesterday could be a lot more than just, like, sort of a fun little, you know, sidebar. It could be sort of symbolic. It could, it could, it could have sort of felt like the day that the AL, AL West shifted for good. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And the fact that the Astros are already sort of resorting to this sort of nonsense, I think, tells you tells you that in a nutshell. And Hembo, check this out. And I, I, I hate playing the schedule game, but yeah. this is just a reality. The A's are now in Anaheim for three. Then they play San Francisco for three. Then they got Arizona for two on the road. And then Arizona comes back to the Coliseum for two. And then Anaheim again for three. Then back on the road for Texas, three Houston, and then going up to Seattle for three. The A's will not see a 500 team until September 4th, and that's the Padres, who are barely hanging on to 500. By opponent record, do you know which team has the easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball? Is it the A's? It's the A's. A's opponent, A's future opponents on a, uh, on a current win record of uh, 4-3-0, 0.430. It's the easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball. And it's considerably easier than any team in the American League. The team with the second easiest remaining schedule in the American League is the Yankees. So we're talking, like you, you, like you said, you've already worked through the meat of your schedule and you've done so in the last week and a half on a nine game win streak. You guys are cruising. You're, it's, a, it's a smooth sail here. You obviously cross your fingers and hope that Laureano doesn't, that, you know, doesn't have to miss too much time. But to be 12 and four, given the schedule that you've already played is a, is a, is a pretty impressive, is a pretty impressive feat, I must say. Yeah, it's a it's fun times in Oakland, and 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 the offense really hasn't. I mean, it's still been hit a home run and score, but I mean, once they really all st- still get clicking, this team can get way better. Uh, a lot, I told you. You like you. I'm gonna look this up if they if they win again, but there can't be that many instances of a team batting something like 230 and winning 10 games in a row. That's 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 a pretty rare thing. Um, and. Like, like you said, they're not hitting, and over that over that nine game stretch, their run differential is plus twenty eight. They're bludgeoning team. So this like this is a like sometimes you know how good a team is if they're not playing their best and they're still winning pretty easily. Like we see that all across sports. This, I I told you at the beginning of the year that I think this is the most complete and talented club in in, in, in at least in the American League, and I think we're seeing that. And you alerted me to this schedule information that I hadn't looked at. It, I must admit in advance, but that's a pretty favorable outlook. I have to admit. Uh, you've been looking into Fernando Tatis, speaking of the Padres, yeah. uh, hits a home run again. So six home runs in six games. I mean, if you start talking about early front runner for National League MVP, we knew how talented he was, got hurt last year at the end of last year. But talk about getting off to a hot start. This kid and playing a per- premium defensive position. Yeah, um, this kid is absurd. I-, I-, I posted a tweet this morning. Because he, he played his 100th game yesterday. I posted a tweet this morning uh, illustrating how much better through 100 games he has been than A-Rod and Derek Jeter and Cal Ripken Jr. We're talking about, like, superstar-type stuff. He's the only player ever 
to hit 30 homers and steal 20 bases through 100 games. He would have been the only player ever to do 20-20, and he has 30 home runs, like you said, wow. as a shortstop. Now, we're talking. this is a player who's – whose defensive profile is in question. There are some that feel that he would be better off playing center field. I happen to believe that given the blend of his arm and natural athleticism, he can probably grow into that position the way that so many has. But I have been so incredibly just impressed generally with the bat. Like that's a bat that we did not see in the minor leagues, but the natural athleticism and the bat speed is preposterous. And when he's been challenged, when he's been challenged, he has been legitimately the best hitter in baseball. On pitches inside the strike zone, he has put 35 balls in play this season, and on those 35 swings, produced 51 total bases. It is, that is completely absurd for a 21-year-old kid. That's a slugging percentage north of 1,000. And if you were to bet an amount of money that mattered to you, which in your case is a heck of a lot of money, if you're going to bet, uh, put an amount of money that mattered to you, like let me bet on one player for the next 10 years, it might be this kid. It might be this kid. You might, you might, you might, you know, put Juan Soto in that mix. You might put Ronald Acuna in that mix. But if, if I'm betting an amount of money that matters to me, there is a good chance Fernando Tatis is that guy because the, the polish that he's already shown and the adjustments that he's made in year two, oh, it's really crazy. His strikeout to walk rate last year was dreadful. He was really chase prone. But the damage he does inside the strike zone is ridiculous. And his league-adjusted line, especially playing in that ballpark, especially for a player at his age, we're talking about unprecedented type stuff. Like this is a kid that has a chance to be a complete stud. And we're talking about 100 games here. 30 homers, 20 steals, and OPS north of 1,000. That, that guy's never come around before. If I, if I move him to center, do I keep him healthy? You might, and you also might add value on defense because, look, the last thing you want to do is, is, is stunt a player's career, obviously from a health standpoint, and keep him somewhere where he doesn't belong. Like that's, there's a real chance that he'd be a better asset in the outfield, especially when you consider the arm. But you also don't want to move a kid away from shortstop at such a young age when he has all the natural action. Like I've watched him play enough to see that like he can throw. He's got an absolute cannon. We know that. And he has the quickness and athleticism and the feet, hand speed to do, be able to play shortstop. But this is a, this is a kid who normally would be in double A right now. Like he's, he'd be a senior, he'd be a junior in college. So <laughs> I, I, it's, it's ridiculous, but I've always been of the belief that especially now with fewer batted balls in play than ever before, like I don't think you make decisions like that on defense that irrationally, like you might be able to you might be able to turn this kid into a defensive player, and I'm not sure there's any player around baseball that would be a better uh, sort of exhibit A of that than Marcus Simeon. Like, who would have thought Marcus Simeon would be a potential gold glove shortstop? And Fernando Tatis is a better athlete than, that, than, than Simeon is, so he just needs to get washed over there and, and, uh, and roll him 100 balls a day. All right. You're an executive for the Arizona Diamondbacks. You have signed Madison Bumgarner to a five-year, $85 million deal. He goes two innings, gives up six earned runs. He's 0-3 with a 9.35 ERA, and velocity is dramatically down, even though he wasn't a high-velocity guy anyway. Are you pressing the panic button? Well, I don't think it does you any good to press the panic button because you're already on the hook, right? So I think I think what you hope now is 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 that your data science people can salvage his season. And by that, I just mean – the Diamondbacks are, are a fairly astute organization. Like that, that was a signing that made me scratch my head in the offseason because it didn't make any sense, but the Diamondbacks did it. It's like when the Patriots do something that makes no sense, you think, like, they, they must know something that I don't know. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was a reach for them, and very clearly the early results would be that it's not a good decision. Now, Madison Bumgarner does not, does not need to be sitting in the mid-90s to be, to be successful. He can live at 90 and be successful, but he can't live at 85 and be successful. So, yes, I would be 
absolutely pressing the panic button. Maybe I'd, I'd feel a little bit better because we have the national, we have the DH in the National League now, and maybe it can hit a little bit. <laughs> but I mean, yes, for, to, to be zero and three right now, especially, and, and for him to have thrown the way he did, uh, I couldn't feel much worse. That was the largest signing in the history of the organization, I think, and he is absolutely uh, stunk on ice. So uh, I don't think there's much of a way around it. He's too good a pitcher, and he's still only thirty-one years old. So you wonder, like, you wonder if maybe you're reacting to a small sample size. And that's another thing I wanted to get into today, but like you're reacting to a small sample, but when the, when the small sample is backed by, by the, um, by the peripherals that also make you sort of wince and scratch your head. That's when I would worry. We're not talking about someone whose stuff looks good right now. His stuff does not play. Uh, you know, something that has bothered me, I think the baseball media, it's like they lost their journalistic way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you guys are covering this at ESPN, but such the doom and gloom and everything with COVID-19 and always like it's could shut down. It's going to shut down. And he, even our own broadcast yesterday, our broadcast was like, well, you know, Cardinals went to the hospital. Well, if you read the article, if you actually read the entire article and you report the whole story, yes, Cardinals went to the hospital. Some have tested positive. They gave them. Some got IV. Some needed clarity. They all left the hospital. No one stayed. See, that doesn't get reported. What gets reported is COVID, testing, hospital. You don't, they went there because they were a little scared. Understandable. I'd probably do the same. And they were sent home. You know, the, um, you know, you know, the, the banner that hangs from every newsroom, man, if it bleeds, it leaves. That's just how it goes. And now we do, we do nuance worse than we ever did before, right? We're, we're a headline driven society, a headline driven medium. And that's just, that's just, that's just how it goes. But I do agree with you in principle. It behooves everyone that works in our industry to be optimistic because it doesn't it doesn't cost you anything to be optimistic. And right now we're playing most most all of our baseball, right? So I I do I do understand the notion of being cautious and being thorough in reporting the whole spectrum of stuff. But like we have there's 28 teams right now that are doing just fine, right? And as a, as an industry, it benefits us all to have these games and to not have fans thinking about God, I hope my season doesn't get canceled. And instead thinking about, wow, Fernando Tatis is a great player. He might be the future of baseball, right? That's an important, that's an important thing. So the frame of mind, the frame of reference here is important. I'm all good talking about all the, the machinations of COVID because that's important. Like that's a really important thing right now. But we're playing baseball games right now. And for four months, we died to talk about baseball. So let's talk about it. Yeah, and, and this was a thing, and I didn't want to I didn't want to be insensitive, but I'm like, folks. Everybody's flipping about the Marlins. I mean, we have people that we used to work with. See, this is why baseball should be. Uh, the Marlins beat the Phillies 11-6, to 6, and they all tested positive. They, <laughs> they scored 11 runs. Now they continue to, 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 they, they continue to win games. It's like, it's like, stop giving me – give me more facts than give me more trolling headlines, what's going to get clicks. Please, at this point in our game, we need facts. We need reality. So if you're going to tell me Cardinals went to the hospital, tell me that they told them to go home, that they didn't stay. They're not on ventilators. Not one professional athlete in the United States of America has passed away from COVID-19. That is a 0% death rate. Uh, right. That, that's exactly right. And Like you said, like, I think you framed it properly. You can report the facts. You can be objective. And you can also be optimistic in promoting and pushing baseball forward because that's what baseball is doing. That's what the vast majority of players are doing. That's what teams are attempting to do. And we got baseball on our TV and on our radios every single day right now. And by and large, with a couple exceptions, 
teams and players are abiding by the, by the principles, the rules in place. The commissioner's office has adjusted on the fly as best it can in creating a schedule to be able to make this work. But like having baseball on right now is a godsend. It's a revelation. And we should appreciate it for as long as we have it. And until we don't, we shouldn't pretend like we don't. You know, like it, obviously it's, it's fine to banter around about stuff like this and what might happen. And I understand the first weekend when it happened to the Marlins, it was easy to think, oh, this is all going down, right? Oh, yeah. we've, 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 we've held on, right? Like this is, we've held on, like we're doing this. And Rob Manfred has made it clear that we're not quitting if we don't want to quit. So I'm with you as an industry, it would behoove us to, to grind along with them and optimistically hope that we can do, we can do this as best we can and that players and teams can galvanize and we can play a season. But right now we got a bunch of baseball games on the slate today and this week, and we'll, we'll just cross our fingers. Hope the Cardinals get their act together. Right. We just, we just got to hope time will, sort of heal that circumstance the way that it did in Miami and keep pressing forward and enjoy the baseball that we do get to watch because we do get to watch baseball every day and we yearn for it for months. What else do you want to talk about with our great game? I want to talk about the reaction that I received to my Christian Yelich is better than Mike Trout piece. Oh yeah. You got hammered on that. Uh, <laughs> and, and by the way, Yelich didn't Yelich is the show pony that didn't get out of the gate for you. Yellow started the season one for 27 and I was receiving a virtual beating. I mean, I'm like, look, I, I, when you write it, when you write that piece and you write that piece with that headline, you expect some people on the internet to sort of, you know, get their pant panties in a bunch. And I, that's part of the fun. Like I, this is like debating who the best player in baseball is, is a, is a generally inconsequential thing, but you would not get that sense if you, you know, hopped into my mentions or my DMS, but I did find it sort of comical because like the same, like, first of all, you read the piece. It was 100% data driven. Like there was zero opinion there, right? The only thing that was somewhat provocative was the headline. So um, in a data driven piece in which I posited that for the last year and a half, Yelich and Trout are really close. Everyone was like, that's not enough time. Like that's not enough time to make that a set. Yelich started one, one for 27 in six games. You're like, look, this guy stinks. <laughs> it's six games. Like which, which sample size argument are you using here? Either like a year and a half, another year and a half is not enough time, or six games is definitely not enough time. But you can't have both. Like, what are you talking about? So it definitely sort of reinforced my my research. And you know, he's he's got a 1400 OPS in his last six games. The kid's gonna be fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill. But it was it was really funny to see the reaction. And the one for 27 to start the season certainly did not help my case. But I was getting all sorts of messages that I got to screenshot and send to my wife because there was there was some uh, there was some uh, people people are very tribal with this I uh, I didn't really expect the the kind of reaction that I got but I, I thought you guys would get a kick out of it but I was I mean my my mentions were decimated just decimated just it was it was it was a it was a unique experience because I've written plenty of dot com pieces but none that provoked that kind of reaction and you probably were following on a little bit it sounded like and it was uh it was it was, it was interesting to be a part of it and then Trout goes away, and he is he and his wife has a baby. First at bat, gone, and then he just starts hitting home runs. And yeah, it's like... yeah, it was sort of the perfect storm here, but it was it was the small sample size crowd that really that, really, that I really enjoyed so much. Like, no, I look at Mike Trout's track record for eight games, and and then Yelich goes one for twenty seven. Like this, send this guy down. He shouldn't even be on the taxi squad. It's a plus <laughs> of a contract. Are you kidding? So uh, anyway, it. it it definitely, it definitely made me laugh. But what I, what I liked most about the reaction was just that it, it generated so much conversation. And all I wanted was for it to illustrate that Christian Yelich was really underrated. Like ultimately, the headline was clickbait, and that's obvious. Like that's, that's how these things go, right? But if you read the piece, what you saw was Christian Yelich is really good. In fact, 
for the last year and a half, he's been every bit as good as Mike Trout. That's really, that's really the, the only thing that I was positing. If you didn't agree with the conclusion, fine. But there's nothing to argue with about the piece because the piece was 100% data-driven. And it wasn't manipulated. The numbers weren't manipulated. There was, there was, there was no, like there, there was no misinformation. There was no really, uh, I mean, all, all I wanted to do was bring to light how great this guy had been. But the one for 27 definitely will, will wear on me for a little bit. Yeah, you're good. You're, how many people uh, clicked on it? I don't know, but it was it was uh, ESPN moved it to the to the front page of .com like on opening day, so um, I, that that surprised me. It's the second it's the second time something had like that had happened to me actually. I mean that was a much I assume much more red piece than last year. I wrote this piece on how JT Real Muto being traded to the Phillies would sort of you know usher his way into superstardom playing in a playing in like a really hitter friendly ballpark, and that was like on the front page of ESPN.com. That was the same day Frank Robinson died, and like the obituary of, a, of an inner circle Hall of Famer was like below it. I'm like, guys, you should probably flip those. Like, that, yeah. like that's <laughs> that, that was so. Who, who knows why they make those decisions? But I, like, I, I'm with you. Like that was a that that it definitely generated a lot of reaction. Carl Ravitch was like on the broadcast one day, he was like, and ESPN.com today said Christian Yelich was better than Mike Trout, so he just spoke it into existence for me. Oh man, we miss you, Himbo. It's gonna be back, boys. I I got the internet back at, at the new place here, the one gigabyte uh, Verizon FiOS uh, package, so I should be up and clear here. We shouldn't have any technical issues in the future, and uh, hopefully that this will be the last time I think that I'll be speaking to you for my in-laws in-laws week. Uh, so you're moving in what next week? Next, yeah, next week. Next week. So it's it's all happening to, to the to the Jersey suburbs. Uh, I intend to do the whole thing: the white picket fence. The wood pellet grill, the weed whacker mower combo, the whole, you know, the whole nine. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, welcome to the suburbs, my friend. You've earned it. I appreciate that very much. I can't wait to whip up a brisket with you and send you a picture soon. Oh, Hambo, I love it. We we need to talk. I've got recipes. I got sauces. I got rubs. I got everything you need. <laughs> All right, we'll do a special sometime. You're the best, buddy. Take care. Later, boys. You're going to have to unmute yourself on your computer there. On the actual, in the actual hangout. There you go. Why am I muted? Uh, there was something going on on your end whenever I, whenever you walked when you stepped out, and I had to mute the your end of the computer. Oh boy! Now my computer's gonna be all messed up. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. You're good. Check my settings. Millennial tech. All right. Okay. Himbo was great. We got a lot to get into. Frankie Montas's AL Pitcher of the Week. Um, we still don't know about Ramon Laureano. Uh, Mike Stanton, not Giancarlo, but Mike Stanton, longtime left-handed reliever, three-time World Series champion with the Yankees. Giambi hit that big home run off of him uh, to walk off a game. His perspective we'll get into. But coming up next, we got to get to our man Mark Gubazaw down in Anaheim right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, let's get our man Gooby on. So during the break, Gooby just texted me. He's waiting for Joe Madden to do a Zoom call, so he's in a holding pattern. He'll let me know when to call him. No problem. So there's an update on Gooby. I've been going back with forth them for a little bit, so uh, we'll get him here shortly, hopefully. Frankie Montas is the American League Pitcher of the Week for August 3rd through the 9th, his first career Player of the Week award. 
Frankie held the Mariners to just one run on four hits and four walks and nine strikeouts and seven innings of work for his first win. He followed that up by shutting out the Astros for seven on Saturday, allowing only two hits, no walks, five strikeouts for his second win of the year. In total, Frankie was 2-0, allowing just one run, six hits, four walks, over 14 innings pitch, including 14 strikeouts. My question is, is that any good? I mean, there is something. There was a beast inside this young man's body. You just had to figure out how to harness it. And Scott Emerson, what he has done, and you know what? We need to get Emo on the program because his pitching has been phenomenal. Can you make that happen, Commander Cody? I was thinking about Emo uh, when we first started the show when we were talking about the pitching, and I, I'm going to – I'll reach out to the great Mark Ling and see if uh, Emo can potentially talk to us tomorrow. I mean, he misses you. He already texted you and said that you don't write, you don't call, so I think it's time. I mean, he, he, he checked in with me. He's ready to rock. But think about Frankie when he was traded for Josh Reddick and Rich Hill. That was who? Jarrell Cotton, Frankie Montas. Grant Holmes. Grant Holmes. Now, you think about Frank. Frankie's one of those guys that just has the electric arm, but boy, struggles to throw strikes, get people out. There's a lot of Frankie Montases out there. There's a lot of guys who can get up there and light up a radar gun. But what happens when they learn to pitch? What happens when they gain confidence? What happens when they believe? He needed something other than a fastball. Because his slider isn't like, you know, wipe out slider. And they started working on a split finger. And basically that becomes his changeup and a strikeout pitch. And now he's got three pitches. He can throw the slider for strikes. He can throw it outside to to right-handed hitters for a strikeout. But when you throw that hard and you control it and you throw the split, you're very hard to hit because that split and the fastball, they're coming out. They look the same. To a hitter, when he's he's coming down that hill and you're looking at that ball coming out of his hand, you can't tell the difference between because it's the same arm slot. It's the same release point. You can't tell what it is. And as a hitter, it's coming at you. And if it's a fastball, it's 97-98. And if it's a split, it just drops out of nowhere. I mean, think of Dave Stewart with like eight more miles an hour to seven seven more miles an hour velocity. Think about that. Think about how nasty Stu was. But yet, you know, Stu was what? Anywhere from 92 to 93, probably could hump up. But Stu's not living 98, 99, or 97 to 99. I mean, that's basically what that is. Frankie's a big boy, and he's coming down the hill, and boom. He looks like an ace. And I know we use – that's why I said he looks. I'll say it all the time. You're not an ace until you've got a resume. And a resume means – Awards, postseason. I mean, 
It's his first career play of the week award. That doesn't make you an ace. That's why he used to drive me nuts when callers would call me up. Sonny Gray's an ace. No, he's not. Now he said he wasn't. What's he done to be an ace? He's won Cy Young awards. I mean, what, 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 what? I mean, you gotta, you gotta have a body of work to be an ace. But right now, he's looking like one. Frankie Montas. I mean, if you were to start a playoff series right now, he's the guy starting for you. If you could line it up, it's him. So congratulations to him. I think that is a, it's a nice little, I mean, in the end, it's player of the week, but it just, it just kind of shows, hey, what you're doing is working. And coming back from being suspended last year is definitely uh, a big deal. There's a, you know, there's a lot of interesting, there's a lot of interesting things going on in baseball with like players and uh, I got to tell you, just going through my notes today and I don't know if we're going to have time to get into it, but is anybody seeing what the Braves are doing? I mean, the Braves are just killing it. With no I mean, starting pitching. About, what? With no starting pitching. No, they're starting. Well, one guy's in, in AAA, and the other guy's got a got a bad wheel. Ronald Acuna Jr. His last nine games is hitting three eighty seven, seven extra base hits, nine RBI. He hit three home runs in the doubleheader yesterday. Atlanta's won nine of their last twelve games. That's why I'm telling you this World Series is going to be in the traditionalists. We'll have to fight them. We got to fight them on everything, and we'll continue to fight them. But this tournament that they're about to play is there's going to be it's going to be loaded because there are some teams that are really really good. How about Marcus Stroman opting out today? How many wins do the New York Mets, when they brought the kid from New York bat home, how many wins do they get out of Marcus Stroman? I think they only got like 11 starts out of him. He didn't even pitch this year, so think about that for a second. They gave up two prospects for him. You know, one of them was actually playing for the, the Jays right now, uh, Anthony Kay. And the other kid they really, really like a lot, the kid with uh, the hyphenated last name. I can't remember his name. I'm drawing a blank on it, but – the, the Jays like both of the guys. Anthony K is pitching for them now. And then the other kid is a guy they really like. Brody Van Wagen hasn't made a lot of good trades with for the Mets. Really? Hello? Gooby, how are you? What's going on, my man? We're just uh, hanging out up at open, uh, the stadium there, but now we're uh, doing this via phone, man. It's a little different world we're, we're at right now. So, you, you know, we, we tried to explain to Mark Gubazal, by the way, World Series champion. We talk uh, about friend of the program, uh, one of my all-time favorites back with the Kansas City Royals, joins us here on Ace Cast Live. And we were talking about before this thing started that a lot of the Olympic broadcast is done this way for, for the United States coverage. Not everybody is wherever around the world. The majority of the people are back here at NBC, whether the Bay Area or New York. And they're calling games on television, so it's something that's done in the Olympics uh, for you for the first time. What's it been like calling a game off a monitor? 
Uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. It's it's one of those things where you, you adjust as quick as possible because you know I, I love what I'm doing. So for me, they could have put me on top of the big A here at the at the stadium and uh, tell me to go do it, and I would have been cool. So I was ready to do it. Uh, it's a little different. Certain things, you know, you, you, like players do, is is it broadcast? You kind of feed off the energy of a crowd, whether it's good or the, you know, the visiting crowd booing at your home team. So I always loved that. I did that as a player as well. That part's a little different, but other than that, you know what? It's a chance to be able to talk baseball and 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 you'd be comfortable no matter what the scenario is going to be because I because I just love doing doing what I'm doing. Are you surprised at all from what you've seen the last couple of years to where we are today that the Oakland A's are coming into Anaheim in first place, having won nine straight, and they haven't even fired on all cylinders yet? No, there's some guys, I, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at their, their lineup. There's some guys that really aren't hitting the ball like I would anticipate them doing, including Matt Olson, even though he had that walk-off grand slam first game of the year. But uh, you know what? I, Bob Melvin, I've gone back with him, and we were teammates together in Kansas City a lot of years. He, he allows the guys to play. I mean, the games have been close. The bullpen has been outstanding. They're, they're catch the ball now. Now it's something – you know, a number of years ago, that wasn't an emphasis for the A's. It wasn't, you know, catching the baseball and having a solid bullpen. Well, you realize how important that is in this game now with all, you know, with the with the launch angles and the home runs and the starters not going deeper. You better be strong in your bullpen and you better not give up extra outs. And that's what I, I love. I love watching them play. I mean, I know I shouldn't say that because they're, they're rivals with the Angels, but uh, I, I love a lot of the guys in the team. I love the way they play the game of baseball. And I love the way they catch the ball, and I love the energy they bring every single game. And, and they're never out of any game. Part of it is because they're bullpen, but they have that relentless energy knowing if they're close at the end, they're going to win. You know, before we get back to pitching, Bob Melvin, did you know back then this is a really bright guy? I could see him being in the game a long time, even as a manager. Yes, yeah, because even our conversations, because he would, he would even let me know stuff that he picked up that I was tipping pitches or doing stuff. When, when he was over there with Baltimore, you know, he, it was the weirdest thing, the craziest thing. He told me that he, they finally figured out because they couldn't hit my slider early on that uh, I would stick my tongue out when I threw a slider. And I'm like, there's no way that happened. And, you know, I really wasn't a big video guy looking at my performance because I was so critical of myself all the time. So then I looked, I go, wow, he was right. I said, I'm certainly not Michael Jordan sticking the tongue out and slam dunking, but I used to do that all the time when I threw a slider. And I, I had no idea why I did that. So then I just got, tried to keep, my tongue out on every pitch as much as possible. What is that like? Or you're like, don't stick your tongue out. Don't stick your tongue out. No, I mean, that's the thing too. And I'm thinking at some point I'll probably do that. Now I'll, I'll bite down and I'll end up biting my tongue off, you know? So I was always worried about something instead of worrying about getting the guy out of the plate. So, Hey, anytime you have something that creeps into your mind and you're doing wrong, it's a negative feeling and, and you end up not performing as well as you should. And that's the thing that hurts you on the mound. That's what helped me when, when Bob told me that. And, and that's why I know about him. He, he, he's a student of the game, but he always had fun. We always had fun together. And that's what, you know, I miss most when we were teammates. But I always love my conversations when I see him normally. Although in this kind of environment we're in right now, we don't get a chance to talk to the, the guys all, at all right now, other than a phone call or a Zoom call. You know, I always like going back to your Kansas City days because that was one of my favorite teams of all time. As you know, George Brett was my favorite player of all time. And I remember you telling the story about, you know, if you're not going to deep in games, you got to answer to Hal McCray and George Brett and Frank Wright and Frank White and all those guys. You know, we're starting to see with the A's, you know, at first they weren't going deep and it's understandable. You know, you got summer camp, maybe you're not built up, 
But now we're starting to see length. And there's just something about when the starter gives you innings, your team wins. It's not an analytic. It's just like a reality in the game. The longer your starter goes, the better chance you have for victory. And and the less games and times up for your guys in the bullpen, as well as every you know the A's bullpen is going. At some point, if you're in there every single day or getting up every day because you're not getting any length of your starters, eventually that catches up to you. No matter how well you're throwing, it, it's it's human nature that you'll you'll convince yourself you're tired, and or you will be tired. So you know the starting pitching is. I mean, you've, what we've seen over the last couple of years, even though some teams were going away, how the importance of starting pitchers and not going to sign them as free agents, but we saw the Astros and the Nationals in the World Series, and they got there because they had great starting pitching. The Dodgers were in the playoffs. The reason why they're so good every year, great starting pitching. And if you don't have that, you're you're playing you know into a game where the bullpen. You saw the Yankees; they're a team that relied so much in the bullpen that finally fell apart for them last year in the postseason because they were just taxed. They threw so many games, so many innings, so many times up that it, it turned the course for them around because they were a great team. But you can't just keep putting that bullpen out there every night and expect the same kind of results. You know, over the weekend, the A's swept the Astros. And uh, you know how much the A's disliked the Astros. And then Ramon Laureano was getting into it with the hitting coach, and he charged their dugout. Uh, Very sad about what happened. But I think long-term, I liked it. Because basically, after two straight years of falling short, I think the A's sent a message in this series that we're going to fight you on the field, we'll fight you anywhere, and we're done with this. We're done with the cheating. We are better than you are. And they really manhandled them over the weekend. Can you truly send a message to another team in the game of baseball? Yes. Uh, you know, for, for how many years now? What, three, four years in a row? It's been absolute dominance for the Astros. Even though the, you know, the A's had back-to-back season of 97 wins, it was almost like, okay, the A's had a good year, but the Astros are the cream of this division. They are the cream of the, you know, the crop. They're going to go out and win every game, and they're going to be deep in the postseason. They got dominant everyday lineup. Their bullpen was strong. Their starting staff was great. Now, you know, coming into the season, everyone's like, well, the Astros, you can't count them out. They still don't have a chip on their shoulder trying to prove that what everyone said about them, it doesn't matter. They're still that good. But then you see a lot of people talk about the A's. They were talking about the Angels, even the Rangers, for that matter, coming into the season that the Astros weren't that much better than everybody else. And then you know, you see that when you feel good and comfortable as a team, as a franchise like the A's are right now, they in their mind feel they're better than the Astros. They feel they're better than everybody in baseball, which you should anyhow. But they're proven they're winning games. And, you know, the Angels actually have scored more runs than the A's at this moment. I think it's 72 to 71. Uh, but yet they're in an incredible shape as far as winning and up by a bunch of games in the division already. And we're, we're only – 15, 16, 17 games into the season, yet they're that far ahead of everybody else. They believe in themselves. And, and if you've got a team that believes in themselves in this shortened schedule, this sprint of a season, boy, that's going to be tough to stop. You know, I couldn't believe it watching MLB Network and knowing that Trout's been out to have his first child, obviously one of the biggest moments of your life. And all of a sudden they break away to Mike Trout's first at-bat since coming back from paternity leave, and he hits a home run. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got yeah, I, I was literally laughing. I'm like, you know what? In my mind, he goes, please, there's no way he's going to homer his first at bat. And we're building these whole things for the opening of the game and then, you know, showing these graphics how many home runs. I think he had like 77 or 78 career home runs in the first inning. He's already had, you know, all this stuff going on. And I'm like, 
is he going to do this again? And then boom, and, and he crushed him. I'm like, oh, man, this is unreal. He just, he's, you know what, the things he does, and the thing I mean, you appreciate about him, he's so humble. I mean, he just, you know, he just like, he, he doesn't even understand how good he has been already in his career. I mean, it's incredible where now that he's played his 10th season now, he's actually eligible for the Hall of Fame right now. And, you know, and he's arguably one of the greatest players ever in the game, yet you wouldn't know that when you have a conversation with him. Rendon, who we didn't get to see uh, when you guys were up here, when the A's took three out of four, he's struggling. He's hitless in his last 23. Joe Adele, the super prospect, he's just two for 15. So you just kind of, you kind of look at the, you know, pitching and hitting. I mean, there's, there, there, the angels are struggling. You can see why they're five and 11. Yeah. I mean, they're starting staff outside of the two games that Shohei Otani pitched. You saw that one up there in Oakland, similar results to the one here at, at Angel Stadium as well. The starting staff has been okay. The bullpen has had some tough times because, They've been taxed. They've been in a lot of games where, you know, when you think about the rotation coming in, you had to worry about, you know, pitch counts right away from everybody. Normally, then you had Andrew Heaney, who missed his uh, start in that game against the Padres at the end of summer camp with a bad back, so you had to limit him in pitches. Tehran just came back himself, limited pitches. You know, the one guy they've been allowed to go and, and stretch out in games has been Dylan Bundy. He's been great. Otani was the same way. And, you know, so this entire staff, you know, starting staff has been on a limited pitch basis initially. Now they're stretching out a little bit more. But it's, it's still it's coming down to Justin Upton. You need to get him to get going again, especially with guys on base. You know, there's, there's so many really good hitters. Otani last game yesterday had a couple hits, but other than that, he had been struggling. You don't expect that as far as one through nine. It's about as deep as the lineup that I've seen with the Angels in a long, long time, but it hasn't performed where it should be right now. So I would say the biggest – reason why they're at 5-11, and 11, it's really been their offense, which something I thought would never be in the conversation. You know, you mentioned Otani, and we've talked about him before, and what a special, special, special talent where I would love to see a day where he's in the home run derby, he pitches in the all-star game, hits in the all-star game. I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen because of just the injuries. And, and Eduardo Perez uh, from ESPN he had a great point, and I thought, huh, this is probably doable because I know he did this uh, over in Japan. Is it po- I mean, he's got to be in the lineup. I mean, there's no question he's got to be. Could he be a guy that's in the lineup every day? Instead of being a starter, go like John Schmoltz and convert him to a guy that's got great stuff where he just comes in for one inning and blows people away and gets saves. Yeah, that, I mean, I know that's been brought up, and I know I even said it on the air uh, last year, as a matter of fact. I mean, I know – all things are in play with him right now, uh, you know, because he, he could throw, he could touch 100 miles an hour. He's got that unhittable splitter, and he also has a pretty good breaker ball as well. You only really need two pitches coming out of the bullpen. You don't need to have four of them working to be successful for one inning. So there, there, there's a possibility there. You know, somebody asked him right away after this latest setback with his elbow, uh, you, you're just going to think about hitting. He goes, whatever the Angels want him to do, and that's the thing, whatever they want him to do, I think he'll do for him, whether it's, in that starting role, whether it be down the bullpen or just straight hit, whatever it's going to be, they're going to, he's going to do. Gooby, it's always great catching up with you. I hope everything's good with the family. I wish we could see you up here in Oakland, but uh, looks like that's not the case. So you take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you later on during the season. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. You know, I, I enjoy being on there with you, my man, every time. So if, they, if it's not this year, we'll certainly do it next year. We always fall, although we're not opening up with the A's next year, which is shocking after four straight years of opening up there in Oakland to get the season started. So we'll see each other at some point soon. Take care, buddy.
You got it, buddy. I bet. Mark Gubaza, all-star, World Series champion, and does a great job with the uh, Angels broadcast. They got a terrific broadcast team. They do it really. And we got my man, the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time. And thank God he's alive. Mark Langston is going to join us when? We're going to talk with him tomorrow before the show, and then we'll air it. So I'm excited. I reached out to to Mark Langston earlier today, and he was like, yeah, I could do a 2 o'clock tomorrow. I, I, sometimes I feel like when I when I reach out to him, I feel like I'm talking to a surfer. So I have to, I have to like, explain what it is. Oh, and, there's no doubt. And I'm like, hey, so we'll, let's do this tomorrow. And I put in parentheses Tuesday so he doesn't think it's today or another day. So, But he was like, yeah, let's do it tomorrow too. So Langston tomorrow, I know, so, excited. Mark Langston and Steve Sparks, who we just had on the program from the Astros, and Langston, they both had heart attacks. Mark Langston had a heart attack in the booth. And if he wasn't in the booth, he'd be dead because they had the – respiratory, the paddles, like, right by there, and they were able to shock him back. Scary stuff. And we learned from, and I wrote it down. I can't remember which game notes I have. The calcium test that Sparksy told us about, the calcium around your arteries that, you know, it's like an extra 100 bucks. Have the test. I'm having a blood test in three. I was thinking about that. I'm having a blood test in three months. It's just my brother had prostate cancer, so I now need to get checks every six months, and just the way it is, um, I'm definitely going to say to my doctor, hey, I want that. Talk about scary. We almost lost two of our prominent broadcasters in the American League West, both former pitchers, both guys in great shape. I mean, you want to talk about scary. But your A's have won nine in a row. Nine in a row. It is so good. All right, coming up next, 10 teams with legacies at stake. It's all about the headlines, right? Did Himbo teach us that? If it bleeds, it leads. If it bleeds, it leads. 10 teams, according to friend of the program, Buster Olney, 10 teams with legacies at stake in the 2020 60-game season. Are your A's a part of this list? By the way, I have to. We haven't done a new commercial for the chicken pie shop of Walnut Creek. We have outdoor seating now. It's beautiful. If you're in Walnut Creek and you're looking for a great place to eat and you want some outdoor seating, obviously the takeout is there. But outdoor seating now, beautiful. Check it out. All right, coming up next, more on A's Cast Live. Some things just go together peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, Oakland and Kaiser Permanente. If that last one caught you off guard, it shouldn't, because Kaiser Permanente has been helping keep Oakland healthy since our very beginning. And as the official healthcare partner of the Oakland A's, that won't be changing anytime soon. Whatever you may need, you can trust Kaiser Permanente to help keep you feeling your best. Kaiser Permanente. Thrive. Visit kp.org today. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. COVID-19 is more than a health crisis. It's a financial crisis for many California families. 
In this moment, you shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, and we can help you save money by using less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Looking to stay up to date on all things A's? Head over to athletics.com slash A's cast. That's athletics.com slash A's cast to listen to A's baseball and full 24-7 coverage of the A's only on A's cast. With a single click, you can stream great shows, live pre and post game coverage, and of course, all the great action of the A's this season. Head to athletics.com slash A's cast today. Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, president of the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. As the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact it to reduce the risk to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We got a little baseball today. We got baseball every day. Our our first day off, because remember, we're playing 30 games in 31 days. And our first day off is going to be on Thursday. I mean, it's all running together like it's it's Groundhog Day. It's it's and I love it. I don't care if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. What does it matter? Let's just play baseball. Play every day. You want to play two? Where's my man Ernie Banks? Is he looking down on us, smiling, going, yeah, let's play two? Seven inning games. <laughs> Seven innings. You guys can't play 14 innings? You remember, like, when we were kids, you'd have a get, like, you'd be in a tournament. And I was very fortunate to be on some really good teams. I was a trophy hunter when I was a kid. I was on, a, whether it was Little League, Pony League, Colt League, and got to travel. Just, we won all of San Diego. Then we won L.A. I came up here at Seaside to play, to go to the Pony League World Series. I mean, we play, you'd play in the morning, then you'd play in the afternoon. You played all day. Let's go. And we weren't getting paid. We were happy to get, like, you know, orange slices, for God's sakes. 
All right, 10 teams with legacies at stake in 2020 60 game season. Number one, it's a pretty good call by our man Buster. Do you know who number one is, Cody? I looked at the article but, and I put it on our rundown, but I, have, I don't have it open. But I want to say it's the, the Yankees. No. I think it's a great call. The Chicago Cubs. Because remember, they've been talking about breaking up this team, the team that won the World Series, the first championship in 108 years. Which, I don't know, you got really good players. Oh, let's break it up. I never understand that. Because you're going to get rid of, like, you're really good players to get what that's going to be better than what you have. So the Chicago Cubs kind of like this is this group's last stand or Theo Epstein is going to do whatever he's going to do. And he can do whatever he wants because this guy's got the legacy of breaking the curse of the Bambino and breaking the curse. The, uh, the Cubs was the goat. Is it is, the goat, right? Wasn't the Billy goat? Yeah. Yeah, it was the goat. Number two. Eh, I don't know if I really agree with this. My team. The my our team. America's the team. Miami, America's, <laughs> the new Dallas Cowboys, the Miami Marlins. <laughs> they should just call them the COVID Marlins. Can you imagine a team of misfit toys and youngsters was the first club shut down for an extended period because of the virus? If it were to somehow walk away with the commissioner's trophy, that would be remarkable. Yeah, that, that there's no doubt. But, I mean, come on. We're talking about legacy. What legacy? Number three. Good choice. The Los Angeles Dodgers and Farmer John. A championship in 2020 wouldn't necessarily stack up against 1988 or 1963 or 1955 in franchise lore, but would reduce the talk about how many decades has passed since L.A. last title. See, there's a good example of how traditionalists don't get it. Think about that. He just said, well, they win, but it's not going to stack up against 88. This is going to be arguably the toughest World Series to have ever been won. But these the, the old guard won't let it. They can't let it. You know what I wish? I wish because because what happens is baseball is such a long sport, and I've covered it the majority of my professional career. Baseball is a long sport that most guys that work in baseball never work in other sports. They may dabble, but they don't, and so because of that. They're trapped inside of their clichéist. Is that even a word? Clichéist? Did I just make up a word? I think he just made it up. So we got America's team and now clichéist. Look at us. In a cliché-driven world of baseball. Like, if you listen to every Major League Baseball broadcast, it's just full of the same clichés year after year after year after year. It's just the same thing. So – we should force everybody who's worked in baseball for a long, long time to have to go cover another sport. You now got to go cover football because it's complete. Football is completely different. If you went, if you went and forced a baseball person to cover football, that baseball person would never come back and go, 
hey, it's early. Hey, it's this. Hey, it's, you, you, it's a it's win and win now. And if you don't win, your ass gets fired. It's a whole different. I mean, it, you if a football team's winning and you go into their facility, people are singing zippity doo does. Everybody's skipping around. Everything's great. If your football team's losing, you I, for years doing the Raiders TV, I'd go every uh, Thursday to tape either Del Rio or Gruden. It was like death going in there. Everybody had their heads down. You'd walk by people because I'm skipping around. I don't care. I'm getting paid either way. And everybody's like moping around. They, hey, how you doing? Except the one year the Raiders went to the playoffs. Win, win, win. win. <laughs> but it's like unbelievable. Baseball people should have to, like like Buster, I'm taking your baseball away. You got to go cover the NFL. Everybody I've talked to about this has now agreed, like, uh, do the 1988 Dodgers, do they have to go through a pandemic and COVID-19, which is killing people around the world? Did, were they told they can't leave their hotel? Were they have to, did, did they have to go through, did they have to go through 15 other teams? Because essentially, okay, it's really eight in each spot, but there's 15 teams with a chance to win it. Did the 88 Dodgers have to go through that? Last time I checked, they had to go through the Mets. And then the A's. That's two teams. They're going to have to go through more than that. Then the 88 Dodgers. Just saying. So this whole, these baseball people, God, we need to, like, get you out of this. You're so trapped in yesteryear. It's unbelievable. All right, number four, Yankees. Yankees have won one World Series since the 96-01 dynasty when the team played in five World Series in six years and won four championships. And 11 years have passed since the 2009 title. In the Yankees' world, that means they are long overdue. Once again, archaic thinking. You won in 09, pretty good. Oh, hey, by the way, um, I remember when the Yankees couldn't even get to the playoffs. We're still in this world that everybody thinks the Yankees should just win every single year. When I was growing up, the Yankees stunk. They never went to the playoffs. But in this baseball Northeast world, they're supposed to be in it every year. Number five, finally, the Oakland Athletics. Only a moron would view and thank you. You know, that might be the best thing about this article. Do you want me to look at my phone? Oh, no, scratching my arm. I have my phone in my hand. You're holding up your phone. (laughs) Only a moron would view Billy Bean's stint as head of baseball operations in Oakland as anything less than an enormous success given their payroll and their ballpark limitations. But as with Clayton Kershaw, Bean's legacy would be bolstered by some postseason hardware. The team has been knocked out repeatedly and quickly in October. Let's go through that. Is it fact? Yes. Other than taking down the twins, there's no doubt. You can't you can't dispute that. Not going to. Um, they've run into some very good teams. They've had whether it's bad luck, whether that bad luck was put on by themselves. 
I think everybody that looks at the early 2000s kind of shakes their head, and you look at the talent, and you say, why didn't they win more? But I think the greater thing about what this organization has been so proud of is the fact that no matter what, going to try and win. Are you always going to win? No. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to try and win. Do do we have the do we have the funds coming in from the ballpark that other teams do? Nope. Do we have the attendance that other teams have and the sweet sales that other, other teams have? Nope. Do we have the television contract? Nope. So what? There's 50 feet of crap and then there's us. According to a movie I saw, it was called, uh, what was that called? So- something Ball. I think it involved yeah. money. You mean, you mean this? There are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. But uh- yet, under that 50 feet of crap, there's an ALS title in 2000, wild card in 2001, ALS title in 2002, 2003, 2006, 2012, 2013, wild card in 2014, wild card in 2018, and wild card in 2019. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So basically, and one year they missed by what, one game? So basically, Half the time Billy Bean has been in charge of the Oakland Athletics. They've been in the postseason. If you think anyone else could have done that, I think you're crazy. I really think you're crazy. I had a discussion one time with Billy, and I think he'd be cool about me talking about it. We're in the parking lot. You just need to realize, as an A's fan, and I know A's fans, you're loyal and you're diehard, and there are obstacles, and the same thing can be said for the Rays, and that's why we give the Rays so much credit. There are obstacles with the A's that you don't know about. I don't know about. They're not bringing me into the business meetings. They're not bringing me in saying, hey, Townsend, this is what we can and cannot do. I don't know that. But there are hurdles that this franchise has that others don't. And I know people will say, oh, but the the owner's a bazillionaire. Owners don't take money out of their own pocket. The business has to survive on its own. The business runs itself. You don't go into your personal stash. Nobody does that. Hell, I don't do that with my own restaurants. Are you kidding me? That's stupid. And you know what? You wouldn't do it either. But you like to say it as a fan, but you wouldn't do it either. The bottom line is what Billy Bean has been able to do with this franchise and David Force. I, I, it always kind of bugs me when David gets thrown out, and that's why when 
put it this way. They had that first award down at the GM meetings for top executive. Uh, Cody, who won that award? I think it was down at Carlsbad. Uh, that'd be Billy Bean. Yeah. And when I got on the stage that January for FanFest, I said, Billy, this is an award for you and David. David's been his right-hand man for over 20 years. But if you think it's that easy to win, because let me tell you something. There's plenty of guys that they could have, Billy could have gone on and done something else. He can do anything he wants. He's on boards of companies. He could go out just public speaking the amount of money he makes. He could go off. David could go run another franchise, and they could bring some. I want you to know this, A's fans, and I'm looking directly at you even though you can't see me, and I'm pointing at you. They would bring somebody in here that would be rebuild, tear it apart. That's what everybody's mentality is now. You want to go through a three, four, five-year rebuild of tear it apart, suck, be in last place, get top first-round picks for years. You want that? You want that? Because that's what everybody's doing. Billy won't do that. Yeah, you know, there'll be some mistakes, and you'll finish in last place for a couple of years, but then you're back in the wild, you're back in the playoffs in the wild card game, 18 and 19, despite these cheaters winning 107 games. I want you to think about that. When people criticize, I mean, I've had people go, oh, what's Bean won? Oh, oh, really? You want to bring in somebody that's an assistant, an assistant general manager? Tough time spitting that out. An assistant general manager who's been with another franchise who's going to come in and just tear it all apart? You want that? Because that's what you would get. That's what people do. And you would be, I'd be miserable. You would be miserable. Be very thankful you got Billy Bean and you've had him for over 20 years. Be thankful you got David Forrest. Be thankful you got this front office. Be thankful for the Billy Owens and Dan Feinsteins and, 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 and Eric Kubota's and these guys because all they do is this is what we got. How are we going to win? Bob Mel, you think Bob Melvin gives a crap what the payroll is? Do you think he gives a crap what people are getting out? He's here to win every game. 27 outs. Let's do this. I really don't think people understand. Like, if Billy if Billy and David and these guys were to go away and you went outside coming in and there's no new ballpark yet, it's teardown city, baby. So the A's are number five on that list. Number six is the Rays. Any championship for a team that typically fields one of the lowest payrolls would be an would be an accomplishment, short season or not. And for Tampa, it would be a franchise first. Number seven, the Minnesota Twins. The Twins are increasingly thought of as one of the best-run organizations in baseball, and a title would reinforce that view. It goes Cleveland, number eight. Obviously, they have not won in 72 years. Well, news came out about them. And, uh, well, I'll let you finish, but more news came out about them and uh, what happened with Zach Plesak yeah, over the weekend. So. Oh, God. Mike Clevenger was with them, so Clevenger – 
the other so it's Bieber, Clevenger, and Plesak are the three pitchers that the, were they all sent home? It, it, Clevenger and Plesak were will have to quarantine. Nothing about Bieber. He pitched last night, but it just came out like five minutes ago that uh, apparently Clevenger went out with Zach Plesak Saturday night in Chicago. So those two guys are were sent home by the Indians because they're taking this. I mean, all teams are taking this very very serious, but the Indians are you know they're sending Plesak and Clevenger home the the quarantine for seventy two hours because of going out in Chicago. But they're not supposed to. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to get—I wanted to mention that because I knew we I, we can sneak in the police act news because that was kind of big yesterday. Um, my response to that is two things. A, this is why the NFL will not work. That's not one of my two things, though. By the way as football now is starting to get canceled everywhere. <laughs> the Big Ten is canceled. You're going to start seeing all the major conferences canceled. College football is done. Uh, football is still pretending, and they're going to be done. But my two things are there's still people that are young, and they're not, they're not afraid of it. Cardinals are sent to the hospital. Yeah, they get an IV and they're sent home. Most young people, especially if you don't have any underlying conditions, knock on wood, I don't want to get it. No one should want to get it. But most people, um, young people like this, they don't even feel it. So these guys, these guys are fearless. And it's stupid. And they're selfish. Isn't that, isn't that shocking? Young, rich people are selfish. Who would have ever thought that? Uh, Who would have ever thought young baseball players who have everything catered to them, who are given everything, because once you get to the big leagues, life is your oyster. Who would have ever thought they'd be selfish? Well, Who? I mean, as a as a young, rich person myself, uh, I, I'm, I'm not upset. Uh, totally kidding. Uh, but you're right. It's a lot of people on, in my age group, because I'm a, I'm a millennial. I mean, I know you are too, but people in my age group, I'm 31 they aren't taking this seriously and they feel like that they're invincible and that's the wrong mindset to have with it. Yeah. I live, I live with someone that works on the front lines every single day. And, you know, I have to be cautious about it with who I see and who I hang out with. And that's why you and I haven't seen each other in person in months. Well, besides when you come over for wine Wednesday, every once in a while, but other than that, we haven't seen, I have not been over for wine Wednesday and it's been a I while. Tell you the last time. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. We're taking this seriously. We're you know, not I'm not saying a lot, everyone in Major League Baseball is not taking it serious, but Zach Plesac going out, Mike Clevenger going out, they're not following the protocols that that the Indians are putting in place. And like we're seeing that Terry Francona is not managing the team because he's dealing with a health issue that's not COVID related, and he was texting Buster during the game last night. Like just you know, like he's like they're taking this very seriously, and you know I'm, I'm glad to see every team. It seems like besides the Cardinals now are abiding by it. We got America's team in Miami who are back on the field and they're winning. You know the A's haven't had any problems except for Lazardo when he first tested positive at the very beginning of summer camp. It's been it's it seems like everyone's doing it right. The NHL is doing it just fine. Nobody tested positive, although it's such a, it's so NHL to have your three biggest players not be in the playoffs, but. That's why the NHL still can't get ahead of itself. And the NBA has any, hasn't any problems either. And those are young guys too, except for Lou Williams leaving to go get uh, chicken wings at, at Atlanta uh, Gentlemen's Club. Other than that, we haven't they heard got, anything. They got good chicken wings. That's what, I, that's what I heard. That's what the internet tells me. 
Can I finish the list since you interrupted me? Yeah, sorry. We I did interrupt you a little bit. Number nine is Cincinnati. They kind of went all in. You know, when you're getting uh, Moose and Castellanos, the one of the greatest hitters of his time, extra base hitters. And number 10 really makes sense, the Nationals. We haven't had a repeat champ since the Yankees, 98, 99, and 2000. But I think that's good for the sport. And before we move on, did I already lose it? In this article by Buster Olney, where is the A's? God, I have a thing on the A's. Okay, here you go. A rival official told Buster, said this of the baseball division races, if you were to pick the most prohibitive favorite, it would be Oakland easily. Not just Oakland, Oakland easily. His rationale is that the Astros pitching staff is so incredibly banged up and Oakland has so much Oakland has such a strong team that it will be difficult for Houston to win the division for the four straight year. Just thought I'd throw that in there. I may have some it's not breaking news until it's official. But it's one of the things that I love about what baseball has been doing. I continue to be a fan of Rob Manfred. As baseball might be changing again, and it might be even smarter. That and all-star closer Liam Hendricks all coming your way next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. We got the commander with us here, taking you up, getting you ready for A's baseball against the Angels as your A's have won nine in a row, the best winning streak in all of baseball, and they're in first place. You know, people like to talk about, well, what is that? Uh, what is that against everybody else? Is this the best winning percentage in the American League? Yes, it is, but it doesn't matter. Win the division. Let's start first, win the division, and then, yes, in the end, the ultimate goal is to win the World Series. Because if you don't believe you can win the World Series and the World Series is not your goal, problem is with just saying you want to win the division, once you've won the division, you've accomplished your goal. That's not good. There's steps to the ultimate goal. Step is to win the division, but the ultimate goal is to win the World Series, which this team could do. Bill Shaken from the LA Times is reporting that even though baseball might have dropped the ball on not doing the bubble system that we have seen with the NBA, the NHL, soccer, WNBA, okay, Heinz, you know, they didn't do it. But baseball has been fluid on changing things. There are contingency plans right now with Major League Baseball about moving some or all of the postseason to neutral sites with warm weather and relatively low spread of the virus. The bubble approach would make sense for the postseason for a number of reasons, beginning with minimizing the risk of an outbreak situation 
that would wreak havoc over the tournament schedule and competitive integrity, multiple, multiple teams, including currently the St. Louis Cardinals, have been parked during the uh, regular season due to the COVID outbreaks. Okay. Because of the postseason coincides with the onset of flu season, MLB has added incentive to figure out a way to isolate its players. Otherwise, they run the double risk of players becoming infected and playing and play becoming interrupted. It's unclear where MLB would host its bubbles. The league would choose a warm weather state that has multiple big league facilities and ample hotel capacity, such as California, Texas, Florida, Arizona, which, by the way, are all hotspots. But when you get in the bubble scenario, I mean, you have these people come in and wipe down and and you can take a full hotel, put each team in its own hotel, disinfect, get rid of the, you know, just do everything in the hotel rooms, buses, meeting rooms, meal rooms. And basically you just, when you're in the bubble, you go from the hotel there's no, there's no police at Clevenger. Hey, you want to go out in Chicago? There's none of that. You're in the bubble. There's security. They know where you go. They're not going to allow you to go out. You could find that bubble in L.A. I mean, I mean, I guess you could do it in New York too. It, I mean, you have to either do it in New York. How are you going to do that in Texas? You don't have to. I mean, that's the thing about Chicago, New York, and Texas is that you got facilities not too far from each other. When I mean facilities, I mean stadiums. But obviously, New York, you're worried about weather. Chicago, you're worried about weather. How about playoff baseball just all day long at the Big A and Dodger Stadium? Well, how's San Diego? That Now that gives you three. Peco Park, Peco Park from Peco Park from the Big A, without traffic, which I can't imagine. I don't know what traffic is like right now in Southern California. If it's anything like up here, that you don't have, you know, the the regular traffic. Plus, you got police escorts. I grew up right next to San Diego State. I could get to Disneyland in an hour and ten hour and fifteen minutes back in the day, and that's when traffic wasn't like it is today. So literally, you could have teams playing at Dodger Stadium, Anaheim, and San Diego. And that's your playoffs. And you basically put everybody in a bubble. And you have the virus expert people disinfect whatever they do to all the hotels, buses, before players ever get on. There's multiple buses. You could ease, You could do that. And away we go. Playoffs. Might be the best idea. I'm down, Cody. What do you think? I think California is – I like the idea of, of having a play in one location. That's smart because you're lowering the risk of guys, one, going out because then you can have the – I don't want to see baseball do but you can have the snitch system like the NBA did where you can call the hotline and rat people out for if you see them outside. 
But I, I like the idea of if, if it's in California, it'd be great. And having baseball all day long, kind of like what the NHL has been doing. Again, the NHL had the three best players not move on. So I don't think that's going to happen in baseball. But in the NHL, that happened. And I looked it up from, from the big from the big A to Petco right now. It's an hour and 28 minutes, 94 miles. And that's not showing any traffic. Not, not, not with a police escort. Let me tell you, a police escort will be quicker than that. Dodger Stadium. I mean, why not play? You could play in San Francisco and Oakland. You play some of it up here. I would say another another town that that you can potentially have it in, although it's they've been kind of linked to the COVID outbreak, was Atlanta because they have like four baseball stadiums that the Braves have played in the last five years. So you can have you have a bunch of facilities there. But I like I think California is probably the most obvious answer because of all the ball. There's five different ballparks here, where New York you only have two, Texas you only have two. Well, New York's out the weather. You're yeah. worried about the weather. So Chicago, te- you're worried about the weather. So Texas or or Texas or California probably make the most sense because Florida, what they're well, Texas are not, Houston and Dallas are no or Arlington are nowhere near each other. Oh, I know that's that. Well, either is what Miami and Fort Lauderdale or Miami and in uh, St. Petersburg, Tampa. they're not that close, are yeah. they? No, no, not like not not like not like. L.A., Anaheim, San Diego, especially no traffic. There's traffic, oh, my God, but if there's no traffic and you're using police escorts, yeah, no, you could zip, zip, zip. California is probably the best option then. you got five ballparks that you could do it at. Yeah. Smart. Build build these huge outdoor tents like we see at these majors, right? Like at Pebble Beach at the U.S. Open, the merchandise tent. That thing was the biggest tent I've ever seen. Build these big tents. They got these floors. Put video games so these guys can get outside of the hotel and go into these tents in the parking lot and have pool and foosball and, you know, with your teammates, not the other team. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, you, there's they're doing it in the NBA and the NHL right now. You can figure it out. What time are we going to? 5.30, so, and Liam was uh, 20 minutes long. All right. Earlier today, I caught up with the all-star closer, Liam Hendricks. He's truly one of the good friends of the program. He is your all-star closer here on A's Cast Live. Liam Hendricks from Anaheim. My friend, how are you? I'm good, Danny. How are you doing? We Well, with you guys winning like you're winning, um, life is great. And I got to think for you guys, it's now coming to the ballpark every day. And the expectation is, let's just keep this thing rolling. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we've got uh, we've got the guys in this clubhouse that it takes a lot to knock them down, but it's very, very easy to pick them up, which is uh, which is the quality you need in the team. But oh, like we've been saying it for the first couple weeks of the season, all we needed was one game for the these guys to get locked in on the plate, and all of a sudden they have, and we've been rolling in the last what nine or so, which ends up being what twenty one or so. Oh, I I, I mean. You start looking at where you guys are right now, and you haven't fired on all cylinders. And, yes, if we did the 2.7 times 9, your winning streak is 24.3 games. Is that good? I'm not sure. (laughs) I think that'd be the record. (laughs) Yeah, that's – I mean, obviously nine's a heck of a lot easier than than 24, but in saying that, I mean – that's what we're taking it as. It's like we're not trying, not really chasing history right now. We're just trying to chase separation and kind of give ourselves some breathing room in the division. Well, you did get some breathing room, which I'm kind of shocked by. I thought that in a 60-game season that 
There wouldn't be a whole lot of separation, but when you win nine in a row, you've been able to do that five over Texas, five and a half over Houston. Uh, when you talk about not firing all on all cylinders, really that's where the A's are now. That kind of makes this thing so scary, I think, for the rest of the league. I mean, what happens if the offense starts matching what you guys are doing as a pitching staff? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like um, we've been we've been cruising in the pen and this outing rotation the last uh, the last couple of weeks, and and the the hitters are coming around. Like you see some of the uh, some of the at bats the Mats are having. I think Simeon getting that walk off hit on in the thirteenth inning has kind of locked him back in, and he's now he's now getting back that little that little confidence streak. And that's the biggest thing is everyone was so confused by this season. Everyone was rushed to get back and ready, and all you you, you weren't sure of your abilities for a little bit. Like my first outing of the season, I wasn't sure how my ball was playing, how it was coming out, how everything was going. It took me to go back and watch some video that night to realize, like, no, no, no. My stuff's a little bit better than I meant it, but I think it is right now. Let's just get that and roll with it. And that's what, that's what I was able to do, and that's what these hitters are able to do now is uh, just kind of have a look and be like, no, nah, my swing's fine. Everything's fine. It's just all, all it takes now is just a lucky hit to fall in, and then you get that confidence back. But it's going to be a scary team when um, when everything's firing all cylinders. and. And that's the good thing is like we were able to withstand that little section where sometimes the offense wasn't wasn't uh, kind of doing as much as they were, and then the uh, the pitching was able to kind of pick it up. But now, if anything happens to the pitching, we've we've hopefully got the offense now to pick it up as well. And that's just uh, the way you need to go. You can't lose those one run, two run games based off on one facet of the game not working. You know, we talk about all the time how a, how a lineup can be contagious, good or bad, right? It can go, it can work both ways. Can that happen with a bullpen? Oh, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, you just you're sitting up there just talking to each other, and I mean, it's it, it we got a really cool bullpen this year. Like between Deepman and me and Sorry and Steve have always got along well. So between those guys, you add in Lou, JB, TJ's been a great fit in this pen. Uh, Birch has been absolutely fantastic down there as well, and and it's now we've got Mangan sitting down there as well just to give us some length. But the best thing about this year is the fact we've got the guys for no matter what sort of game. If it's a like if we're up by a lot, we can use some guys that can get some innings. If we're down by a lot, we can use some guys. But we've also got the guys where if it's close, we're not afraid to use some guys, some certain guys, and kind of stay away from those uh, from the back end guys a little bit, which is fantastic. Because I mean, at the end of the day, you're if you're down by one, you want to stay in the game, obviously. We've got uh, complete confidence in our entire bullpen to go out there and, and get that score that's in and keep us in the game, and then we have a chance to win with our offense. Yeah, we're still looking at Birch and uh, Soria. Each guy hasn't even given up an earned run yet. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that just because I don't want to jinx it. But um, yeah, I mean, for the for the while in there, like I was, everyone was talking about our bullpen and I was like oh, and I was at the at the anchor in the end and I'm like I'm the only one who's giving up a run how am I still in this conversation <laughs> <laughs> it was just opening day who who's counting that I mean it's fine I'm not I'm not overly worried I mean I'm, you're gonna give up runs here and there the biggest thing is how you bounce back from giving up those runs and I mean the way Birch and Sorry are throwing right now they make go a season without giving up one I mean they're just disgusting right now I mean I play catch with Sorry every day and you can see him working on everything, and it's just—it's been fun to watch. Like last year, he kind of had those, those two, like two or three bad ones in the first month, and then after that, he was nails. And this year, he's just kind of focusing, making sure he doesn't fall into that trap of those first couple outings. And and we'll be—and he's laughing all the way to the bank right now. And 
I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a transformation from the video I saw of Birch in previous years to what he's been able to do this year. It's unfathomable. I mean, he's, what he's been able to do is fastball has great life. His change is disgusting. He's got a good breaking ball. I mean, he's got all the makings of the, the possibility of even like forcing his way into either high leverage situations in the bullpen or it, working his way into the starting rotation if anything happens to any of those guys. I mean, he's, he's kind of that uh, Johnny Oltrade right now, and he's just being thrown into every situation, which is fantastic. Well, what's the main difference that you've seen on video for him? As far as I couldn't tell, it looks like he's just, like, it looks like he's using his legs a little more, but it looks like he's just, the ball's coming out differently. I couldn't, like, it almost looks like he's got that little bit of confidence. He's a little, he's, he's being more aggressive in the zone. Um, I think he ran into, I've spoken to him a couple times, I think he ran into something similar to what I did, whereas I always put a ceiling on myself. And so he's like, well, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Like, let's just try and get there, but I'm not supposed to be, so it doesn't matter if I don't get there. Now he's like, oh. Like, I've seen people who have gone through my career path. I've seen people who have kind of had these ups and downs and taken, taken all the silver linings from everything they can. And that's what I'm going to do this year. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to throw everything as hard as I can and everything as disgusting as I can. And we're going to, we're going to kind of do that. And you saw yesterday he was sitting 97 with a good changeup. I mean, anybody who does that, it's, it's very, very hard to hit, especially with the life he has in his basketball. You know, we had golf over the weekend over at Harding Park, the PGA Championship. And, the, you know, there's talk about, you know, the evolution of your swing and when you're in your prime and when you get older and, you know, the coaches and the video and all that stuff. And then now you see some guys go, to hell with it. I'm just going to do it myself. It made me think of you because that's kind of what you did. You kind of said, you know what? I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose. I'm going to stay in this game or I'm not going to stay in this game based on my beliefs. I'm going to do it my way. I was thinking about you this weekend because there's a lot of golfers that that have now gone that route. Yeah, I think it, for me it was like you need the outside sources to kind of bring you back down to earth or pick you up from the dirt. And for me, like I obviously my wife is a huge important factor of my game. She's able to kind of, if I have a good one, she's like, no, 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 that pitch sucked. You need to work better on that one. It kind of gives you back down to earth. Whereas if I have a bad outing, she's like, look, you make some really good pitches in there. You just let this one go and, like, don't worry about it. You're not as bad as you think you are. And there's that. And then there's also Michael Fisher with um, Get Into the Blue. He's the one who does my heat maps and stuff. And there's a lot of times where I was overthinking, like, okay, well, they put a good swing on that fast. Well, what's going on? And so I talked to him, and all it would be was like, hey, no. He goes, you, that, that one just came out a little differently than the rest. The rest of them are fine. Don't worry about it. And hearing that realization, just not overthinking everything, has been a big part of it. But the biggest thing for me is just going out there and not worrying about what the hit is good at. Like, we, uh, as scattering reports, you kind of, sometimes teams focus on what hitters are good at, not what they're not good at. And I don't care what the hit is good at. Like, I couldn't care less. I want to know how I can get them out. I don't care how they're going to hit me. That's just that, that all I'm going to do is start thinking that, thinking on that. Like, okay, this guy's got a fastball away, but he's not good at fastballs down and away. All I'm going to try and do is throw a fastball down and away. And more times than not, if I'm really focusing on down and away, I'm going to throw up middle, middle, and he's going to get a hit. Well, I, I somebody recently got, I don't have my book in front of me. I don't remember who it was, but somebody recently got a base hit off your breaking ball. Uh, people have been like 0 for 48, and the last person to get a base hit off your breaking ball was like last July. Yeah, that was Shinsu Chu. It was off a curveball. Yeah. That's the second hit I've given up since I've used that new grip on my curveball. Uh, the first one was the Grand Slam by Bregman in, uh, I think, May or so. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, 
I had no idea about that. To be honest, I had no. I knew that my. I knew I had a good breaking ball. It, a, a, a change between the uh, the slider and the curveball, but I didn't have any idea that it, like I had a streak or anything like that going. I mean, at least now it's got an average. I mean, it looks better. It looks it looks better now when it's a lower average rather than just a zero because you could have thrown like four of them and had a zero. You throw a hundred of them, and you only give up one hit. It's just you doing a run. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Oh, for forty eight. I mean, that means wh- whatever that grip is, it's working. I want to get back to Soria. You know, the way he's kind of changed his game since he's come to Oakland, you mentioned he got roughed up in a couple outings to where now dropping down with the curveball, changing looks, changing angles. It's been fun to watch him change and and, and actually mature as a pitcher. Yeah, I think if uh, he's of the mindset, like he doesn't have the 98 to 99 mile per hour fastball or anything like that, and he never has. I mean, but he's also been able to pitch at 92 his entire career, and he's made a really, really good career out of it. So he's just always looking at ways to kind of throw off timing or just add something in there that just gives it a new look, which changes the like the concept of the way he pitches. So all of a sudden, if he he's been a pretty much like a fastball cutter, changeup guy, if all of a sudden he throws that big loopy curveball in, you have to respect that pitch, which makes every other pitch better. So I, I play catch him every day, and he's constantly working on his changeup. He's constantly working on his drop-down cutter and slider and stuff like that, just trying to give people different looks. Because as soon as you see something different, it just adds that into the hitter's mind. And all of a sudden, they're, just, they're not quite as confident that that 2-0 fastball is coming if you've thrown a couple 2-0 cutters before that. So that's his way of doing it. But, like, his his ball's got some life this year. Like, it's um, it's a lot more along than where I – because I didn't start playing catch with him until probably June of last year-ish, maybe May. And we've been playing catch ever since. And this year, it's got a lot more life than when I first started playing catch with him last year. And it's just, I don't know if it's a good throwing partner or whatever it is, but I'm going to take all the credit where it's due just because I need to remind Jack that he's, uh, that's how we're doing things. You know, people don't realize that when you have that good throwing partner, he gets to know everything that you do. He gets to know what you're trying to accomplish. He can help you. Most people just think, ah, it's just two guys playing catch. It's actually a lot more than that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there'll be times where he gets around in a ball, and then I'll point it out to him. And there'll be times where I'm just, I do something a little different. He's like, hey, what was that? And if I'm actively working on something, then it's different. But if all of a sudden I'm just trying to throw the exact same pitch and I'm doing something different, you just all of a sudden you're like, no, 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 I need to make sure I get a couple good ones, and he's able to recognize that. So you're almost each other's accountability partners as well, making sure that no one gets off track, off kilter, making sure they've got the right mechanics, they've got everything going, but also just telling like it's it's also a reassurance. Like at the start of this year, like I was not feeling great about my stuff, and he's like, no, 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 that was disgusting, that was nasty, let's just do that again, and he kind of instills that confidence in you that uh, no matter what you do, you're able to kind of go out there and get guys out. You know, the proof is always in the pudding with starting pitching. And if you get at least five, I'm not asking for big big innings here. If the A's get at least five innings from their starters, you guys are seven and one. There is just something about giving you a better chance to win when the guy who takes the ball at the beginning of the game goes longer. What is that? Well, I mean, you have to throw five to get a win, so – that's, that's the goal for the starting pitchers out there to kind of go out there and get those wins. I mean, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it was such a tough year. Like, and I was, I, I was a little critical of the fact that our starting pitchers weren't as far along as some of the other teams. 
But then some of the other teams are now having these rash of injuries because they've extended their guys too too soon or too quickly or anything like that. So, I mean, hindsight for me is just looking back and like, no, no, no. We may have been able to pack the bullpen a little early, but this is going to be great for our full-length season because our starters are going to be a little fresher. They're going to be kind of worn into their their pitch counts and they're not going to just be thrown to the wolves. So I think uh, you need to give credit where credit's due, and our organization did a fantastic job of kind of limiting guys' exposure to making sure they're not doing too much. Because as soon as summer camp started, guys were like, no, I can throw five, I can throw five. Then they started them off on two or three and kind of moved them that way. And there were some guys that were a little uh, – a little annoyed at it, but it it's turning out to be working out pretty well right now. So, and especially with the thirty man rosters to start off with, you're able to kind of wear those uh, those extra innings in the bullpen because we've got a couple extra guys out there. So, we've uh, we've worked into it. But yeah, starting pitches. I mean, this is the point now where guys are like guys are going out there expecting to go six, seven, eight innings, and that's what we're that's what we're hoping to get out of the, the starting rotation and. And that way we can turn it over the pen and whatever the score is, we can, we've got guys for that role. Quickly, let's go over some of the starters. I want your opinions on them. First, like Frankie Montas has blossomed into like an ace-like pitcher. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for him is last year was a big eye-opener for him and the fact that he didn't re- he realized he didn't need to hit 100 every time to get people out. So he was able to kind of manipulate the ball. Like there's been times where he's been – 93, 96, 90, like anywhere around there is starting pitcher, which is still fantastic velocity. But it's not the 100 that he was trying to get to every pitch because he's able to pitch. He's, he's pitching instead of throwing now. He's able to go out there and he's able to manipulate the baseball a little bit more, throw sliders when a slide is needed, throw a split finger when a split is needed, and kind of just, okay, I'm 2-0. I'm just going to throw a little bit of a two-seam or a sinker here, try and get this guy to roll over it and get out of it. He's not worrying about the strikeout. So, to watch him evolve as a as a kind of a pitcher rather than a thrower has been pretty special. And if he continues this trajectory, I mean, there's, there's a few awards that I can see in his future. Mike Fires, ever since he's come over, all he has done is win. All he has done is dominate at the Coliseum. Just that steady veteran you need in in your rotation. Yeah, I mean, he's tenacious on the mound. You look at the stuff. He doesn't have the stuff that Frankie Ozus has or anything like that, but he's able to go out there. And he knows how to read a swing. So you'll see him, like, there'll be a time where a guy will take a good fastball off him, like, okay, don't go back to that. And he'll go straight back to it, and the guy will look stupid. I mean, he just he knows the game. He knows how to read people's swings. He knows how to set people up. I mean, it shows by the fact that he's got two no-hitters. I think the Coliseum's helped, because obviously everyone knows that Mike's a fly ball, fly ball pitcher. And if you're at the Coliseum, you have the utmost confidence no matter what's going on, because 98% of the fly balls are going to stay in the pot because it's a is bigger than Yellowstone out there, so it's um, it's it's been fun watching him pitch because he just takes the ball and he, like it doesn't matter how many pitches he throws, he's wanting to throw as long as he can to save the bullpen. And that's just a, that's a big quality, especially for a reliever. That's just a that's a big quality that we like in starting pitches, making sure that they're going to go five or six or seven, no matter what the score is, no matter what the role is, just to make sure that he saves a couple arms in the pen. Unsung hero, Chris Bassett. I mean, I don't know how anybody is surprised by what Bassett's able to do. I mean, it looks like a great Dane puppy on the mound. He's got arms and legs flying everywhere. He's able to repeat his mechanics flawlessly almost every single time. And everything he throws moves more than anything I throw that moves. It's unbelievable. Like, he is, like, he does not get enough credit words. And he is so malleable, it's unbelievable. If they, had a, if they told him today, hey, we're going to go to the pen, you're going to be a one-inning guy. 
he'd be like, okay, let's do it. Like there would be no, there'd be no side eye. There'd be no talking back. There'd be nothing. He just takes it and he just grabs the ball. And all he wants to do is play. He is a puppy. All he wants to do is pitch. It's just what he, and I mean, it's, I still don't have any idea how he throws his curveball so slow. I have no clue. I've been trying it and I can't get it below like 80 and he's throwing his in the sixties. Unreal. Yeah. And he's throwing it as hard as he can. That's the, I don't understand it. Like I'm throwing, I'm literally going out there trying to throw as slow as I can with a curveball and I still throw harder than his. Jesus Lazardo, how talented is he? I mean, everybody sees the stuff. Everybody sees what the TV and the radar gun said. But what you don't quite understand from his is the poise he possesses. I mean, there hasn't been a guy, kid his age or close to his age that's kind of come up through the league and been able to do with his that I've seen since kind of Roberto Asuna when he was in 2015 with the Blue Jays. I mean, that kid had ice in his veins then. And I see a lot in Zeus in the same way. Like, he, there's no the situation that is bigger than him. He trusts his stuff no matter what. And it could be 3-2 bases loaded in a tied game in the bottom of the ninth. And he could throw, like, oh, no, I'm feeling a breaking ball. I just throw a slider. And have no qualms, no no reservations, no nothing. He just knows that he's that good that they're going to swing over. And it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to have that poise, that confidence, that kind of wherewithal as such a young kid. And, I mean, the way, the more he develops into kind of getting to that point of just, going out there and, and pitching and kind of getting into the game mindset and all this, it's just, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that this kid can do and there's a lot of things this kid will do in the game. Well, we talked to you before the season about racking up numbers in a short season. You're one and zero with five saves. Everything's looking good. And what you mean to the ball club and also what you mean to our show, A's cast live, whenever we have you on, it means a lot. So enjoy your homemade coffee there inside the hotel room. Be well, be safe, and keep winning ball games. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Tanner. Thanks for having me. Friend of the program, Liam Hendricks. How many people have the all-star closer on for really just a 20-minute, just relaxed conversation? Uh, what's funny is people, what people don't know is I edited stuff out from – when we talked to him after, we had him for like almost 30 minutes. That's how long your conversations are. The last time we had him, I want to say it was around like around the same time. Emo talks forever. Uh, by the way, efforting emo for tomorrow. Uh, they said they'll check. These guys are friends of the program. They like coming on. They like to just chat and talk baseball. You know, most most times they're going to do interviews with people. They want to get in and out. But, you know, we're, we're lucky that we've established the type of relationship that – is, you know, they, they know they can come on and rap and have a good time and talk some baseball. And, you know, it's a safe place. We're not going to ambush them with some stupid questions. And, you know, it is what it is. Friends of the program. So I have no idea what my schedule is. What what, what am I what, what am I doing here? So we're, we're going to go to break and well, we got to be off by five. Our hard out is 532. Pre, your uh, pregame starts at 545. First pitch is at oh, okay. six forty. So I have time. Who are we going to use in the pregame? I sent over Liam to to Robert in the studio. Your lovely fiance in the background. Uh, there, there's another guest here too, but he's on the balcony. Uh, he can wave to you later. Okay. Well, I'm going to be gone in like two minutes. Yeah. Well, it's okay. He's busy outside. Uh. But yeah. Wait, I sent, who'd you say? We're going to use Liam. I sent Liam over. Yeah. 
Or what about Gooby? Or do from Gooby? I did get the cut you asked about Gooby and the message that you can send in baseball. So I have that if you want that for pregame. Yeah, what was that again? Uh, he was. I thought you asked him about if you can send him absolutely send a message in baseball, and he said, "Yeah." It was oh like yeah, a- yeah, yeah. About about the eight. The eight sent a message to the Astros. The Astros. Um, the Astros are on notice. The A's are coming to kick your, you know, it's a family program, but I'm going to say it. They're coming to kick your ass this year. It's payback. It is totally payback. And they know it. They totally know. They left the Coliseum going, wow. They're already shell-shocked. The Astros have been shell-shocked of everything. They've had to face up to being cheaters and frauds. And now everybody's coming for, for them, and it's like, wow. It's not easy to do to look in the mirror. I mean, you got to wake You got to, you can make all the money you want. You can have that World Series ring. You can have all of that. See, a guy like Verlander to me, Verlander can walk around with that World Series ring and be proud. No one was banging trash cans for pitchers. Had nothing to do with him. Verlander was phenomenal. Wasn't he the uh, ALCS MVP that year, 2017? Uh, yeah, he was. Yes. So I don't Verlander pitchers, Keuchel. It, no, I, I. It's the hitters that gotta look themselves in the mirror. But who cares? They stink and they're out of here. It's the A's have won nine in a row, trying to make it ten in a row. Ten in a row, the longest winning streak in all of baseball. Win tonight. Every win. There's only forty-four games left, folks. Forty-four. Julio Tehran, who, of course, has a positive for COVID, is just making his second start. Sean Maniah, this is his fourth. Three straight tries, going the second time through the lineup, he's been burned. He's going to have to figure this out because it's going to be a short leash. Come on, Sean. All right, what do we have coming up next? We're going to play the build with Dave Cavill because we, we're hoping to have Bob and, and David on this week to – Update those podcasts. So you'll you'll hear the you will hear the build with Dave Cavill from last week, leading into pregame Love at five forty five. And then I'll have A's total access for you coming up in about fifteen minutes. Great show, Cody. As always, we will see. We're on tomorrow, right? Three to five thirty. Same time. Three to five thirty tomorrow. All right. We'll uh, enjoy a little Dave Cavill. We'll see you in about fifteen. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 